that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to your Big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. I am as excited for this topic as I have been in a very long time. And if you listen to this podcast, I'm usually pretty excited. We're talking about the idea of an Ohio State football mini dynasty. How could it happen? What the components of it would be? And how nuts is it to believe that in the next five, six years, they could reach the threshold of a mini dynasty? We are going at the end to have the three reasons from each of us. Nathan, Stephen, and I will each have the three things that would have to happen, the most important things to make a mini dynasty happen. But first, we're going to go through all the answers from tech subscribers. I gave the tech subscribers four choices of whether it will happen or not. I'll tell you the percentage of how that vote break broke down. But Stephen, as we sort of went, as you were thinking about, okay, these are gonna be my three things that I think have to happen for a mini dynasty. Just this topic, did it get your, did it get your synapses firing? The idea, what did, what did you think as you were thinking about this topic? I, I thought about Clemson and Alabama a lot and how different if we're going to define both one's maybe more of a dynasty and one's more of a mini dynasty just because of how long one's been in comparison to the others but just how different they kind of arrived at this point um and some of that is because of the conferences they're in and some of that is because of the talent they've been able to acquire but just how different they are in the fact that when i'm when i was coming up with my list i almost felt like if Ohio State was going to do this, it has to be almost in the dead center of both of those two and kind of hit the bulls or bullseye on the mark or it's not going to happen. Nathan, as you thought about it, and we won't get to your answer, but, I mean, this is a, this is a high bar, right? Because we're going past winning a title. It, it, yeah. What did you think of – I mean, that, uh, there are not many programs where you could even attempt to have a discussion like this because it would be silly. What did you think as you pondered it? Well, I think it's a good exercise for us as people who cover this and as people who talk about this on a daily basis for all of those who of you who are listening right now, because we obviously cover this program through the lens of already exceptionally high expectations, I think, where if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship or maybe more to the point is never even in contention for a national championship, that really frames how that season is considered no matter how successful it is, at least at this point in, in Ohio State's history. So I think it's a good exercise for us to maybe codify a little bit what exactly we're talking about in terms of a dynasty, in terms of what we consider being able to achieve at this high level, which is above, as you say, something that's already insanely difficult to do, which is win a national championship. You know, this program went 30 some years, even though even at a time when it was still considered a great program in, in college football history went more than three decades without winning a national championship um, has done it more frequently than that since then, but it's still not doing it every three, four years. It's still almost one of those, like you get once a generate, you get one or two a generation or once every 10 years, you feel like you've got a shot. So, and, and that, and that doesn't feel like a, a shortcoming really in a lot of ways. That's still, many, many, many other programs that kill to be there. But to, to be above that level, what does that actually mean? And what maybe isn't here or needs to still be at Ohio State in order for them to take that kind of last final step 
to the stratosphere? I think I would argue that Ohio State right now is the only program where you could have this discussion because Alabama and Clemson are already there. They are are already in the midst of many dynasties, which is multiple titles and constant playoff contention and vaguely. And we'll, we'll discuss, we're not going to have a huge discussion of how we define it because sometimes when we talk about how we define things, it's not the most interesting conversation. We had a pretty lengthy conversation to come around on what we meant by this, but we did agree that Clemson and Alabama are already in the midst of it. And then I don't think any other program could reasonably even go down this road because next would be Oklahoma But one thing Oklahoma doesn't have is a title in the modern era, in the playoff era, right? They've been close. They're always there, but they really haven't been that close to winning one, right? They really have to get over that first hurdle. They should have made the playoff. I mean, they should have made the championship game with Baker Mayfield um, the year they blew it against Georgia in the semifinal, but still that was going to be a tall ask to beat Alabama. But Ohio State has a title in the playoff era has been in constant contention and is recruiting at this level that you can you can think about Ohio State they aren't there but but beginning a discussion about Ohio State with multiple titles is not bonkers so that is how rare the air is guys we're the only people who get to talk about this probably the only program that would have even a corner of the argument would be LSU for having just won a national championship in such a thunderous way that if they could regroup quickly and get another one, you could make that kind of, uh, that kind of um, argument for them. But I feel like the Ohio state momentum, you're right that it's been carrying longer and there is, there's a different momentum than there is with someone like LSU who had this kind of one shot and got it done. LSU lost everything that would have, you know, hinted that, okay, they could maybe be on this path as well. While Ohio state, most of that is still intact. Well, as I said, there would have to be a quick regroup for LSU and win that second one. But I'm saying yeah. that having won the one the way they did gives them a, a gives them something to start that argument with. But it's not as good an argument as Ohio State has. If we were an LSU podcast, we would be doing – we would look at the great individual teams in college football history who are kind of one-offs. Because, again, the season we talked about with LSU, that was a really competitive year. Clemson and Ohio State were both really good. They go undefeated in the toughest conference. They beat the defining team of this era during the regular season and then the other defining team of this era in the championship game. They have the Heisman Trophy winner. They send all these guys to the NFL draft. That is one of the great teams in college football history. And we're not here to do that. But we would be doing how do they sustain it? Because, Stephen, you're right. They lost everything. But then, Nathan, as you're saying – but we would want to say, well, what's the next step for LSU? You can't have a better individual year than LSU just had. The next step is sustain it. Do it again. Try to maintain that, which is very difficult to do. So your point is very well taken, Nathan. For some reason, I'm so locked in on these four teams that have been the only teams, the only four teams that we've said a million times with multiple playoff appearances that like I forget how good LSU was last year. But part of it, Stephen, as you said, is because they lost so many guys. So here's what we sent out. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the other teams in the modern era that I would say 
have reached this threshold so we know what we're talking about. There's not a million of them. And listen, I started going through like Army in 1944, 45, and 6, won three straight titles. Notre Dame, like in 46, 7, and 49, won three out of four. And then I was like, what am I doing? That is that is like not yeah, what this is about. That's not football. That's so I mean, there's just and, and part of it. It's it's the it's just that the t- there was no title game, right? I mean, the, it was all yeah. voting. It was a mythical national championship. You'd had years where multiple teams claim national titles for the same year. So it's like if we're trying to have a definition of, hey, you have to win so many titles. I mean, it just it's just messy. It's obviously there's not a lot about the 1940s that relates to modern day in anything. So it's basically, I didn't draw a hard line, but it's basically from the 80s on. I'll tell you the first, I mean, the first one that I think is like the first kind of modern dynasty is Miami with Jimmy Johnson. So that's where I started. And so since then, I would say there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mini dynasties slash dynasties. One of them is one program with two separate ones that I broke up, but seven since the mid eighties. So it's not common, but let's have the brief discussion off the top. So we'll go through the other programs that have done it. We're gonna go through the Ohio State eras that came close, that maybe, man, you look back and say, man, they were right there, but they didn't really get it done to this point because they don't really have a team that fits this, but there are at least two if you want to go back to the 50s, there's another one, but there's two in the somewhat modern era, maybe almost three in the somewhat modern era, where they were right on the cusp of this, right? And they didn't get there. And it's interesting to think, maybe four, actually, in the modern era. And it's interesting to think, okay, will this Ryan Day era, will they be one of those where you look back and say, man, they were really good, but they fell just short of being any kind of dynasty? Or will they actually get over the top? So we'll do that. But let's define this first. And this is how I defined it after our discussion off air. This is how I defined it to the texters. And if you want to be part of this, I felt this today and I just tweeted it out, reading all the responses, well over 100, in-depth, detailed. When we do the fanfic kind of stuff, our people get into the fanfic. And there are some really – you'll see the answers. Do you see that, Nathan, with the Market Down Monday? Sometimes the answers – I have an idea for a fanfic collective that I, I think I've mentioned before that I would maybe like to put out to our texters and we could do like a little mini uh, online book and have 50 texters take part in it and do a little fanfic for the future of Ohio State football. That's for another time. But man, they're nuts in the best possible way. They're nuts in the best possible Buckeye talk way with how detailed they get in some of these explanations. So if you want to be part of that, it's so fun. I just think it's worth it. $3.99 a month, and it's just fun, I think, to have your voice heard sometimes. And I can't always respond individually, but we read them, man. We really do read them. And sometimes we do respond individually. And I sent some back today and said, man, this is a great answer. We're definitely using this on the podcast. It's just fun. 614-350-3315 to try it, to be part of this, man. To just like you're in it. This is going to be heavy on some great text or answers. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that, 614-350-3315. This is the definition that I sent out. Here's how we'll roughly define a mini dynasty for discussion purposes. 
in the five seasons between 2020 and 2024, okay? The next five seasons is kind of the parameters we put on this. But, uh, you know, we can fudge some stuff, right? It's, I think it's more of a feel. Like, was a program, did they have yeah. a dynasty? It's more of a feel. But if you don't hit a couple benchmarks, then you're not going to have the feel. But, like, you guys agree with that? Who just said, yeah, that it's kind of like, it's, so, it, you know it when you, when you feel it. That was, yeah, it was me. It was Nathan. It was kind of the old Supreme Court thing about a, a very different topic where you, you can't necessarily define it, but you know it when you see it. So you have to, you know, right. That's about porn, right? Is it what it was about? What? Is that the thing that it's about? The Supreme Court thing? That's what you mean, right? Censorship? Yes. Pornography? Yeah. yeah pornography, famous yes. thing. But I mean, like, but you have to be naked for it to be pornography, right? So that's at least like a threshold. That's a benchmark. So that's, we have a benchmark here. So we're having some thresholds, but there's some wiggle room. There's some wiggle room on this, but you, you know it when you feel it. Stephen, what? I know. We get off track sometimes. <laughs> so between tw- 2020 and 2025, this is what we said. Either two titles and two other good playoff appearances where you're like right there, you're in contention, you're close. And for instance, I say good playoff appearances because I would not count Ohio State losing 31 to nothing in the semifinal of the Clemson in 2016 as a good playoff appearance because they really weren't close as it turned out, okay? Or three titles. And we sort of talked about this. It was like, well, you know, if you win three out of five, I almost don't care if you go 0-12 the other two years because you're winning three out of five. You've won more than half the titles in the period. So it's got to be at least – but to me, it's more than just multiple titles. Multiple titles is a little short because, again, if you won title six and six, six and six, title six and six, I wouldn't say that's it. And actually, and we could have a discussion about this, the Urban Meyer Florida era – where they won in 2006, won in 2008, and in 2009, they lost the SEC championship game to Alabama. I do not include that as a mini dynasty. So, like, that threshold is not quite it to me. Again, I don't want to have a huge discussion about the parameters because we kind of already did. But, Stephen, in the end, do you think that's fair or how much extra wiggle – do you think there should be when really considering the parameters here? No, that's pretty fair because we're talking about consistency here. You know, we're not talking about, you know, one or two good years. So I, I think that's pretty fair. It's, it's requiring you to hit a bar a certain amount of times before we can give you this name tag of a mini dynasty. So, no, I, I agree with it. And that's the thing. It's like consist, consistency at the top plus getting over the top multiple mm-hmm. times. Nathan, are you in the end, were you pretty satisfied with how I described it? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it, it's so much harder to define in, in college sports than it is in pro sports. I think pro sports is where I think dynasty first kind of came into my lexicon a little bit because you would see it in, in the NBA or, or major league baseball where teams win X championships. And it, it, it's just a different kind of run here in college the the, the rosters turn over more and there's just more teams. So I think it's harder to be a dynasty in college sports. At the same time, I understand why you would maybe include why Florida would be like the the just outside the definition, right? Right, right. Very close, very close to like a Tebow Urban Dynasty. Like the but best I, you could do without being a dynasty. Yeah, 
And again, if you want to make a strong argument that that somebody would say, no, I think they definitely are, right? I mean, I, you know, it's a it's an argument for sure because it's made up. But I do think, Nathan, to your point, this is a little weird because almost by definition, a college dynasty has to, and this to me is almost part of it. It almost has to encapsulate at least two eras of players. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pro dynasty, almost by definition, is is tied to one or two players. Usually, yeah. I think there has to – I don't know if it has to be two completely separate eras, but it ha- there has to be overlap. You have to get, you know, the one group going out and the next group taking over. That, like, Deshaun Watson being good wasn't enough for Clemson to be considered a mini-dynasty, right? It's having two cores, basically. Two, yeah. Two core groups. While, in, yeah, in the pros, it's like, okay, we have something special. How long can we keep this going? You know, Tom Brady and the Patriots, it's Brady and Belichick, but they're a dynasty. Yeah. You know, Bill Russell and the Celtics, it's Bill Russell. And the good guys are on, but they're a dynasty. Kobe and Shaq, they're a dynasty, right? I mean, it's but it's the players because it, you're, it's designed for you to stick around, where in college, it really is, in the end, quite coach-specific, right? Really, it's about can the head coach create a dynasty, which we will get into. But in the end, those are the parameters we're working with. So if you disagree with those parameters, that's fine. It's okay. And, and I, we're all in the same ballpark, right? So try not to let, if you disagree, if you're you know, angry about the parameters right now, it's okay. But let's have a good, fun discussion and just know that's where we're kind of coming from here, okay? But in the end, it's something more than just two titles in a short span. It's a, it's a step beyond that one way or the other. And so here now were the answer possibilities, and I like to do this with the texters because it gives us some definition for the podcast and then also allows for the long answers, but we have some hard and fast things. Here were the multiple choice answers that I, I sent out. Will it happen in the next five years? A, yes, a mini dynasty absolutely will happen. B, yes, Ohio State is that good, but Alabama and Clemson are tough, so it's too hard to imagine that. C, no way. The Buckeyes are good, but not this good. It's crazy talk. And D, just give me one title in the next five years. Asking more is too much. Your podcast topic is silly, old man. So it's basically yes, for sure. Yes, maybe. No. And then no with an insult of Doug. And surprisingly, almost nobody voted C, no. If you were going to vote no, you voted no plus the insult. Because why not? Right. Why not call me old (laughs) while disagreeing with the premise? So I will tell you, here are the final vote percentages. A, yes. B, yes, maybe. C, no. D, no with an insult. What do you guys think was the – Why would you vote no without voting no with an insult? Like, why no, would you pass well, up the you, chance? Well, because why – see, now I know how you guys operate, but some people aren't like you, Nathan and Steven. No, some no, people, I think they are. It's okay. Not, I think, we, we'll I think people – I think the test subscribers have listened to an, us enough to know that they needed to vote D if they're going to vote no. There are a few people not looking to take gratuitous shots at me at every opportunity. <laughs> It's not that gratuitous. You wrote the question and the answer. (laughs) Knowing all too well people were going to pick D. And I am old. Um, What do you guys think was 
the most popular vote getter? I, I would guess B. Yeah. Okay. Correct. B got 44%. A got 29%. So combined, that's A and B, which is yes and yes maybe, got 73%. So well over two-thirds of our tech subscribers think this is absolutely on the table. Absolutely, at the very least, possible. And 30% are like, mark it down. D got 23% and C got 3%. Because again, what's the point of not having an insult? So in the end, 73% to 26%. Stephen, that general breakdown of, of yes to no. Surprised, not surprised? What do you think? No, I think that's pretty on brand. It's, I think, especially when you're talking about with B, because it's it's – it's saying yes, but within reason. You're not just automatically going with it. Like, yeah, this is definitely going to happen based off of some things that we're seeing right now with recruiting and everything. It's almost a yes with a pause to it. And everybody that you talk to in the 2021 recruiting class would vote yes on this, right? Steve? Yeah, I think the only – no, I think everybody not named Donovan Jackson that I've talked to would vote A, 100%, and Donovan Jackson would go – would vote B. As the voice of reason. And you wrote about that at Cleveland.com on Tuesday, right? Donovan Jackson's a little bit like, hey, man, our class is great, but hold off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's the adult in the room full of exciting people who, because they got 11 top 90 guys in the country, they all think they're the best. And I will tell you, I mean, I, and I love this kind of stuff. I mean, if you can't do this stuff as a sports writer, what, what the heck are you doing? You know, I hate, I just, the, the sports fans, and there are just some of them out there who are like, why don't we just wait and play the games? It's like, then why are you even taking part in any of this? Yeah. Just just sit in your house, and when the game is played, turn on the game, and when it's over, turn it off, because then you're not trying to have fun with any of this stuff. But I very specifically, and I wrote about it a lot back then, before the semifinal in 2014 in the first playoff year, just an unbelievable wide open media day at the sugar bowl. We had all, every starter was at their own individual table spread out on the floor of the Superdome, And I just made my way through that 2013 Ohio state recruiting class and asked kind of this. Okay. It's like, Hey, you're in the semifinal, but like, let's talk more than just this. And Eli Apple was like, Oh yeah. Dynasty. Oh yeah, for sure. And like Darren Lee and Von Bell and other guys were like, were like oh, yeah, we're, we're on that, in on that. And then it didn't happen, right? So like th- th- this is how hard it is. Nathan, 73-26, crazy, just general expected fan enthusiasm. What did you think of that vote breakdown? The 44% doesn't surprise me. The 30%, I guess since we are in Ohio State, it's a collection only of Ohio State fans, I would assume, that, that it follows us. So I guess that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that's a, a little high just because of all the programs out there. This and, and 2019 proved it, right? Like you can have incredible talent on both sides of the ball and what seems like a really good coach and what seems like a, a schedule that for, for most of the season set up really well for you, and it still doesn't come together. Like it's really, really, really hard to win one national championship. So that when you start setting these the bar even higher, it's just so hard to attain. So few programs really do it. So um, I think the 44% are, are, are looking at it's, – it's okay to have optimism, especially considering what Ohio State's doing in recruiting right now. 
I, I would pump the brakes a little bit on the 29% because I'm not saying it's unattainable. I'm just saying I, it's, and that's what I said, kind of what I started off saying earlier, right? Like this kind of helps us frame exactly how we should be looking at this team, maybe through the eyes of the fan base. Cause this fan base obviously has maybe even higher expectations than we put on it sometimes as the, the people who are writing critically about it. And I would say the one thing is I, I agree. I obviously I, you make a great point, but if you're there all the time, like, yes, it's hard to win one, but if you're constantly there, like, you're eventually going to break through, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's almost one of those, well, like, if, I mean, if they're – I mean, Oklahoma isn't. But I don't think they're good enough. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Well, but, that's, I, but, but I'm saying it's not just about getting there because you completely dismissed Oklahoma from not even being in this conversation, even though they tend to be in the playoff a, a decent amount of the time. But I would say I think – I would say a lot of people would say that Oklahoma has a fatal flaw that would prevent them from being this. And I agree. I agree with that. But it's it's that's what I'm saying, that it's more than just getting there. No, but I'm not. Okay, so we're talking about different things here. My point is, if you believe that Ohio State has the talent to constantly be in the in the mix, then the idea of we'll eventually break through. There's not – I don't think anybody would say that there's a single thing that's like holding Ohio State back right now, right? There's just – it has to go right. You have to be healthy. There's a million different things. But I, I don't know that any of us would disagree with the idea that, you know what, there are a lot of things that have to go your way, but frankly, most of them are in play for Ohio State right now. Yeah, they, and it I is don't, lining up, yeah. And I don't think they're in play for Oklahoma because I don't think their defense is good enough. So so that's why this is such a unique discussion to Ohio State. So and it almost goes back to I can hear I can I can hear the textures in my head when we go back and when I say no, Urban Meyer did not underachieve by only winning one national title. And now all of a sudden we're talking about a dynasty with Ryan Day, and then it's like, well then how could you say that Urban Meyer did not underachieve because he had all that talent? And I want to get to that at the end. We're talking ceiling here, which I think is different. It's like, can you reach your ceiling? It's not the same discussion as if you don't reach your ceiling as a program, did you fail? Did you underachieve? Right. Do you, do you, Nathan, you agree that that's sort of like, again, it's all about framework. But those are different frameworks, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I understand the point you're making there. I just wanted to make sure, based on what you were saying about if you get there a lot, that improves your chances. And I, and I don't think that's true of every program, but I, I do think that is true based on the trajectory that Ohio state has, why, why you would separate them from someplace like Oklahoma or Oregon or, or whoever that other program kind of Georgia, whoever those people would be. And part of this too, when we were trying to define the parameters, it's like, well, do you include 2019 or not? And it's like, well, you know, if they win a couple titles and then you maybe would go back to 2019 and say that was the beginning of it. They were good enough. They had some bad things go against them in the semifinal, but they were right there in the mix the whole year. Then they won it in 20. They didn't do it in 21. They won it in 22 and they were close again in 23. Now, all of a sudden you're in a five year period with two titles and two close calls dating back to 19. And now all of a sudden you are bringing 19 into it. We're kind of not bringing 19 into it right now because if it's just about like semifinal losses, that's not really getting it done, right? Well, they've got to hit at least a couple peaks beyond that. So let's start – man, these text answers are so good. Let's start with the silly old man, the Ds, the 23%. 
and we're going to read a lot of texture answers, and then we're going to discuss the texture answers, and then they get, we're going to talk about other programs that have achieved this, Ohio State close calls in its history, and then we'll give our answers at the end of, of whether we think it's how possible this is and the three most important things. But I just really want to lean into the texters here because they're so smart about it. And I don't like a lot of talk radio where it's a lot of callers and stuff because it's like uninformed callers are not interesting to me. I would just rather have like experts talk about stuff. But that's the one thing I like about our tech subscribers is they are experts. So if this was a radio show, and speaking of that, we're doing a Zoom call Thursday. Huh. We're going to talk about this more later. We're going to do like a live radio show, except it's going to be a Zoom call with video on Thursday at 7 p.m. for only tech subscribers. It's going to be elite because it's going to be smart football talk because everybody in there, every tech subscriber is a really smart Ohio State fan. So it elevates the discussion, you know, even if we're kind of dumb. So it's only for tech subscribers. If you want to take part in it, do the 14-day free trial. Sign up right now as you listen to this. And then on Thursday, when I send out the info on how to get in on the Zoom call, you get in, you do it for free, and then you bail. You don't give us a cent. What the heck? Why not do it? Or, you know, then if you like it, who you know, four bucks a month, whatever. But that's going to be the first real extra bonus, bonus, bonus thing for tech subscribers. Live Zoom call with video. We're going to do rapid fire Q&A, answer as many questions as we can. Stephen, Nathan, and Doug, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern for probably like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half or so. 614-350-3315 to sign up for the free text. Let's start with the silly, silly old man, the people who voted for that. From the 310, I'll pick D, but I like the idea of you debating it. So they're saying it's like not a, not a silly debate, old man. To achieve something more, we'll need our quarterbacks to be among the top two in the country, avoid injuries to key guys, have continuity in our coaching staff, and continued success in recruiting and developing guys. If all of those things happen, achieving mini-dynasty status, as you have defined, is certainly achievable, but they're still going D. From the 813, my answer is D. I think one title is hard enough to get. So anything more than that is asking an awful lot, especially in the playoff era. The key to this success is contingent in two areas, in my opinion, which are probably fairly obvious. The right assistance and recruiting. I think Urban lost out on another title or two purely due to bad coaching hires, Beckham Warner in 15, and possibly Shiano in 18. All that said, it would not shock me if in the next five years, Ohio State does not win a title, but makes the playoff a handful of times and even makes a title game. That's, uh, that's one that's, uh, and we'll get to that later, just even the idea of like none. Right. That's that's another discussion about this that would be interesting from the three three oh. I don't know if we'll do a separate pod. What if Ohio State doesn't win any titles in the near future? Nobody will listen to that one. From the three three oh. D, I know you're a journalist and not a fan, but you're jinxing us by talking about this. When <laughs> Ryan Day leaves for the NFL and Ohio State becomes Michigan five years from now, we're all going to remember this and run you out of town from the three three oh. Nathan, are we jinxing anything with the mere discussion? You know, if it runs you out of town, it might be worth it, right? A win-win. I mean, like, right, either way, it's a win. Either it happens or you get rid of me. Uh, no, we're not jinxing because, again, 73% of the fan base thinks this way anyway. They're expecting this to be a realistic option. So I think it's worth 
exploring what that means and what that would have to look like and maybe give people a more realistic perspective. Maybe that vote would be different coming out of the discussion we end up having today. And I think you're not jinxing something just because you have a conversation. I think if we were to just come out and straight up say, yeah, wow, since going to have a dynasty, then yeah, that's probably jinxing it. But just starting the conversation is that's pretty just normal sports talk. Yeah. I think if you say if or maybe to anything, then you're off the hook. Right. I mean, that's the that's the key to headline writing. Yeah. Could could is a good word. You know, you you turn. Ohio State becomes the greatest program in college football history. And you put could could Ohio State become the greatest. Yeah. And now it's just an idea. It's just yeah. an idea. It's not it's just an idea. I'm just throwing it out there to see how you feel. What if or you just say. Ryan Day is the greatest football coach at any level ever. Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> oh, young Steven, you have come so far in the ways of modern journalism. <laughs> that is such – I've told Ari and Bill that stuff in the beginning. Man, you put a question mark at the end of a headline, you can write anything. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying maybe. Maybe. I'm not going to dismiss it, but I'm not going to, you know – put any money down on it because i mean we're in the i mean i was gonna say we're not in the prediction business nine and three but i mean like we are in the prediction business but we are in the interesting discussion business honestly cleveland.com sports that is the number one thing we are about which is why this people like this podcast because the podcast is an outgrowth of how we cover things at cleveland.com and i'm not gonna ever apologize for that people think it's like clickbait and sensationalistic it's like do you mean it's interesting sorry so anyway yeah those are the keys to being a modern sports journalist. From the 484, D, you can't say the word dynasty until you've got two titles in three or four years. Until then, this is silly old man talk. You can say the word dynasty if you say if. From the 419, I think it's so hard to win a title that I'll be happy with one title, although I want nothing more than for Ohio State to be considered the biggest power in college football. Clemson has such an advantage because the ACC is a joke right now. Alabama has the toughest conference, but they also get the benefit of the doubt, rightly so. So even if they're a fringe playoff team, they get the nod. And the playoff era, getting into the playoff is so important. And those two teams have an advantage there. The Big Ten is really tough and getting more recognition nationally, but still not the same as Clemson and Bama from the 419. You guys know I've said that many times. I think the Big Ten in a lot of ways is sort of like the worst of both worlds for Ohio State. I think there is a lot of sort of conference stuff that goes into this. And I don't want to reveal all our answers at the end. But, Stephen, when you think about this, the teams around you on a yearly basis, how much do you think that factors in one way or the other, right? Either being tough enough to drive you and give you the respect to get in and test you along the way or being such pushovers that you have a cakewalk into the playoff. How much does that matter, do you think, in this mini-dynasty context? It matters a lot, and it's why it kind of formed my opinion on this. Because as we've talked about before, the Big Ten is in a weird place where because of that, maybe in comparison to um, Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State has to be a little bit more on the mark than they do because they don't have the built-in, you know, cakewalk of a conference or a, you know, built-in, oh, their conference is really good. So we can excuse that one loss. While with Ohio State, any type of loss is usually going to be considered a bad loss if it's a conference loss. That is a hard thing, again, the difference between college and pro. I mean, it's just like, you know, the Patriots can 
could have gone, you know, 11 and five if they wanted to during a year and still get in as a wild card. And then once you're in the playoffs, you're the Patriots, you know, and you got Tom Brady or, you know, Shaq and Kobe didn't have to get the one seed in the West every year. You know, that, that you have room to trip up. That certainly is a complicating factor for anything in college football, which again, I think that's why a lot of people like college football. I like when playoffs don't just let everybody in. But what has held Ohio State back more than anything in the Urban Meyer era is not getting in. And we've said that before. If they would have gotten in a few more times, I would have liked their chances to at least compete. Give that 15 team, give that 17 or 18 team, give them a shot and see what happens. And if they had been in an 18 playoff world, they would have been in every single one of those years. And then maybe they have another one. That 15 team is a classic example. If you were in a sport where you can have a bad weekend, and still have a shot at a title, I, I, 15 team would have taken their shot. But that's not the world they live in. And again, that makes this a little more difficult while it's still a four-team playoff. Again, as we sort of projected with some of the, the recent podcasts, with the Alabama podcast, you know, if you get to a certain time, maybe six years from now or even before then, where it's an eight-team playoff, you just open the possibilities a little bit more. From the 4-4-0, I'm voting D, but I don't think it's a silly topic. They have the talent on the roster and the incoming talent to do so, but I'm reluctant to project any sort of dynasty before Day has won a playoff game. Nathan, that idea, is there any part of this that is like, could we allow the second-year coach to at least begin his second season and win a playoff game before down we go down this road? There is part of me, and again, when we get into the reasons, it's like he just got the job. Is it nuts that we are – I mean, if we, if Urban Meyer was still here and everything else was the same and they, had, they were coming off the Clemson semifinal loss, but it's Urban stinking Meyer and he doesn't have any health issues and whatever, that would make a little more sense to me, although you'll have some people pushing back on that because people are so all in on Ryan Day. Are we nuts to be doing this with a guy who has not yet coached his second season of college football as a head coach? Well, if it were Urban Meyer, would, would we be looking at it in a more positive light as far as a a dynasty coming, or would people have used that as further evidence that like, Oh, that's another urban Meyer season that came up short of where it was supposed to be. Um, I think some of that's through eye of the beholder. I think that's probably a little too harsh, but there are people out there who would have made that argument. Right. So I, 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 I'm not giving away our three answers for later. This did factor into mine a little bit. Uh, because I think coaching is significant here. I'm, we're going to talk about that more later, but um, I don't think it's outrageous to ask the question just because of everything that Ohio State has going for it, no matter who the coach is. I think it's it's why, though, I think it's premature for anyone to answer A in, in part because, again, we have only seen Ryan Day for one year and three games in an interim basis. And I to, to be able to really say A, I think you'd want to have more – evidence than that i don't agree with that i don't think we'd be having this 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 discussion if urban meyer were still the head coach and it's nothing against urban meyer but i think part of why this is the discussion is because ryan day is such a young head coach so a lot of this there's a lot still out in front of him to go get while with urban because of some health issues it was a little bit at the tail end of things yeah i disagree with that Urban's still only in his mid-50s. I mean, the health issues is the whole that, thing. No, the health but, issues is why. That's why. If, if he didn't have the health issues, then I would, it, that wouldn't be a valid thing to say. But if he was like, I have some health issues, you know what? I had another minor surgery, and I feel great, and we're good to go. Um, 
again, people love what's right in front of them. Like any backward like dismissal of Urban Meyer's accomplishments are just bonkers. And the one thing that happens is what we would be doing is like, can they keep Ryan Day? Can they keep Ryan Day? Oh my gosh, would he be leaving? And it's like, okay, well, if he leaves, you've got to replace him with another great offensive coordinator. But Ryan Day helped drag Urban Meyer into the modern quarterback era. And now he'll go hire another great young quarterbacks coach. And like that happens all the time, right? That you can hire, and again, assistant coaches are going to come up for people. You can hire great assistants. And so the idea of if Urban was going to just be like, would absolutely like sort of be stuck in the running quarterback who's a thrower second kind of world, that might be an issue. But if he would have allowed himself through Ryan Day and then whoever else came after him um, to open up to that, I mean, we saw how he opened up to Tom Herman and Tom Herman helped bring in up-tempo stuff and Urban Meyer changed. So um I think there are a lot of people who would agree that they might be more likely to believe this because of Ryan Day, but I think that's a little revisionist thinking and a little bit prisoner of the moment kind of stuff. And let's remember the guy who was here before was still only in his mid fifties and had three titles. So, um, but it's interesting. It's it, the coaching thing is so important because as we said, college players don't stick around. You can't bank it on Tom Brady or Kobe Bryant. So it is on the coach. And the perception of the coach obviously colors all this so much. From the 614, what those two teams, meaning Clemson and Bama, are doing is insane. If Ohio State were to do that, I would be blown away, obviously. But it's a bit of a reach to have the expectation that they will. The most important aspect would be to have Day turn the Bucks into QBU. So I do appreciate the respect for Alabama and Clemson there, not just assuming that, like, yeah, we can do that. I think that's, I think that's a reasonable caveat right that like let's remember how good clemson and bama are d we want a mini dynasty we need someone to fill the shoes of justin schuyler fields nathan you went to georgia did you know that justin fields middle name was schuyler um i i think i may have known it but not in like a it didn't really strike me as being unique i suppose you did you did like three or four or five different stories from down there when you went to Georgia, you did not do a specific story on what is Justin Fields' middle name. I didn't. That was going to be uh, – maybe I'll get to that this season since we get a whole other year of Justin Fields. Oh, and, and now especially, we – Especially if we don't end up actually playing football this fall, I'm going to have to do a series on the um, middle names of the whole roster perhaps. Oh, that's right. Uh, Steven, do you want to claim right now what is Garrett Wilson's middle name? I am, I'm claiming it. It belongs to me. As a matter of fact, I'm already Googling it. So. Okay, can we have a draft? I will take uh, what is Pete Warner's middle name. <laughs> wow, um, so you can convince his parents to change it to the neck? Yeah. We know Pete Warner is known as the <laughs> neck, but what is his middle name? In 1993, a young boy was born in Indianapolis, and his parents oh, – I, I can see these things. Nathan, who do you want next? So you have Justin Fields. Steven has Garrett Wilson. I have Pete Warner. Round two of what is their middle name posts, who do you want? Um, I'm trying to think of somebody with a very unique name. So uh, maybe like a Javante Jean-Baptiste. Oh, that's good. Okay. That's good. That's a good, Steven, we'll go one more round. Who's your second round pick for what is Wyatt their da- name? Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis is good. Yeah. Wyatt Davis is good. Um, I'm going to go it's Zach. A- I'll go Zach Harrison for my last pick. It's annoying because Garrett Wilson isn't famous enough yet that he doesn't have a Wikipedia. No, but name. that's good 
Because yeah. Nathan's answer is already stolen. That's true. Like, I'm not even sure people are going to click on Nathan's story. And, you know, he got kind of no. stuck with Justin Fields because he went to Georgia. But the fact that nobody knows Garrett Wilson's middle name, Stephen, like your I, post is going to go through. You're going to break the story. Oh, no. Breaking Garrett Wilson's middle name is dot, dot, dot. Click on the story to find out. Well, I think probably, again, if there's no season, that also is like a string of podcasts. Um, and we'll have the parents on and we'll have yeah. like Garrett Wilson's family on. And they can like, explain so, how they came to the conclusion that this is going to be the first name and this is going to be the middle name. Yeah. Okay. Please be a football season. Please be a football season. Please be a football season. We're gonna what, talk- if that's, <laughs> what if that's the next two years of just because of how we are right now and we spend, and that's how NFL teams make their draft picks. Based on I, random information because there's no film. I, I will say um, the thing that, that – and I think people understand this. The thing that's getting us through this time is that football hasn't missed anything yet. Yeah. We're still previewing a season that we are expecting to come. And so whatever, like if there's no Big Ten media days or we miss some spring football or whatever, nothing has changed that much. If we get to a point where there is no football season and now, first of all, you don't have the season, but now you're getting ready like to preview the next season with none of the information gathered from the last season, um, that's going to be much more difficult. And I'm not just talking like from a sports writer perspective. I'm just from the perspective of being a fan and staying engaged. Um, and we're going to talk about this. We have to talk about it at some point. I think there is an overreaction to some of the COVID positives that are happening in sports right now. I I don't know what people expected. Um, And I also think that's like, you know, Myrtle beach is now a hot spot again because people are going to the beach. And like, I just don't like when sports writers are covering it. Like, well, there's some positive tests in sports and it's like, people are at the beach. There's positive tests at the beach. People are at restaurants. People are out in the world. There are positive tests everywhere. Most people aren't taking them though. It's just we're testing all the athletes and they're popping up. So I, I don't know what you expect. The idea is like once you have positives, can you get it under control? But like some of the overreaction now, people are like, well, that's it. There's no sports. It's like we've opened up. The, we gave up. We opened up the country. We just said, what the heck? Let's go open it up. So, again, if there's no sports, there's no nothing. There's going to be no nothing. So I, we'll get to that. That's not what this is about right now. It's just stuff is happening right now, but we don't want to be uneducated about it. I do think – if you follow sports writer Twitter, I think some of the sports writer Twitter is overreactive to the positive test because those people are viewing everything from a sports bubble. And all what's happening right now is reflective of what's happening in society. It's not separate. It's not like society is great and sports is screwing it up. If sports is screwing it up, it means society is screwing it, screwing it up and sports is making us realize it. Because sports is the only place where asymptomatic people in a wide and large groups are being tested. That's my two cents. Let's get back to this thing that, you know, the dynasty thing that's fun. Uh, From the 586. D, after 2003, I would have taken a title in either 2006 or 2007. It sucks to have lost them both. And waiting 12 years for another title was a bit too long. Every five years would keep this Buckeye happy. That, I think, is a very smart point that it's like, listen, you're a loyal Ohio State fan. You've lived through eras where you thought you were going to go on a run and you didn't quite have the run. So if you want to be skeptical of the projected run in the future, 
knowing how talented some of those Trestle teams were, knowing how talented the Urban teams were. Urban got one. Trestle got one. Knowing how talented some of those late 90s Cooper teams were, and they got none. Knowing how talented the Archie Griffin teams were. They got – Archie didn't win one. Knowing how talented the Supersofts were. They got one. They didn't get two. If you are, like, skeptical, not pessimistic, but skeptical, as an Ohio State fan, I would say your skepticism – is well-earned based on those examples. And that's not unique to Ohio State. That's just how tough it is. From the 7-3-4, Marlin from the 7-3-4. Nine conference games is prohibitive in a competitive league. Very good point. Bama has tough competition, but no true non-conference road games. Uh, They only play eight league games, and they play an FCS game. Clemson's league stinks. Ohio State doesn't have these built-in advantages, so it's more difficult. Um, that they are re- Marlin is really hammering the nine conference games. That extra game against a cross division opponent, the playoff committee never mentions it, but the nine conference games is prohibitive when it's not on a level playing field and you're trying to get in the playoff. Again, that's the issue for Ohio State in a lot of times, it's getting in. And that's going to be the issue for some of the stuff. Can you stumble and still get in? If we're thinking about this five year period, that's going to matter. They're going to have to be able to get in one or two times when they stumbled, because I don't think you can just think, well, we'll just go, you know, we'll go 13 and 0 every year and get in. That's unrealistic for like five straight years. So can you stumble and get in? Marlin makes a wonderful point. From the 646, the recruiting momentum of, of Clemson and Alabama will determine a lot about our future. And I do think we mentioned that the context is really important here because we're, they're, we're thinking about them doing this in a world where two teams are already doing it. And so let's finish with this one on the 614, and we're going to get into the Ohio State history here in a second. The closest Ohio State has come to a mini dynasty over a five-year period is 1954 to 1958. Again, this is a D answer from the 614. In the final AP poll those years, they finished 1, 5, 15, 2, and 8. In 57, they finished first in the coaches' poll. So they claimed two national championships in that span, 54 and 57. And among the eight they claimed, those are two of them. As good as Ohio State is right now, it's hard to see more than one title in a five-year period. 2015 to 2019 was no titles and one good playoff loss. If they didn't win one during those years, it makes it hard to see how they win two to three titles in the next five years. Nathan, when you hear that, when you think a little bit of the history, and even when you think of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, so you'd exclude 14, that five-year period, 15, they don't get in, 16, They get in, they lose in the playoffs. 17, 18, they just missed. 19, they get in and lose. They don't have a playoff win in that talented five-year era that just ended, 15 to 19. Does that, to use one of our favorite Buckeye Talk phrases, does that give you pause when thinking about the next five years? Yeah, absolutely. I I don't quite go all the way back. The the 40s and 50s, what we're looking at now is just so completely different. I mean, back then – um, you didn't really get to find out sometimes whether a team really had a dynasty because you could go 10 and 0, 11 and 0, and three other teams did too, and you finished fourth because there was no playoff and no mechanism sometimes to to find those things out. Um, now we have a just it, it's such a different scenario, so you you actually have more of an opportunity to have a dynasty now, but in in some ways it's also you, you it's still a very thin line and that's what I, again that's why i think it's important to have this conversation because if we talk about you know how attainable these things are but 
we need to kind of reinforce just that the sky is, it's such a sky high scenario that we're imagining here for a team to come in and not only persevere through a regular season, which as we saw in 2017 and 2018 is not easy, even when you have a really strong team, but then to then do it again in the playoff. It's just, I I like this exercise because it, it gives, I hope it gives people an idea of just how high of a bar we're trying to set. Steven, when you think about that, obviously recruiting is such a factor in why people are feeling good about the next five years. Looking at that five-year period from 15 to 19, though, you know, that's the, the 2013 class was number two in the country. They're in their third year in 2015, so you're still getting some of that 13 class. And then we have the 17 and 18 classes, which were also number two in the country. 2019, you're getting the third year of that 17 class. You know, and then you have some good players certainly in between, Dwayne Haskins and Nick Bosa and guys in those other recruiting classes. That was recruiting consistently at a very high level. And in a five-year period, they didn't even win a playoff game. What does that tell you? The the thing of this is, right, (laughs) they have to be somewhat significantly better or significantly luckier or significantly something to go from last five in the last five years, no playoff wins. And now we're asking – for two titles plus in the next five years. Can the recruiting be even that much better or is it going to be, you know what, recruit kind of like that. And I know they're trying to be the number one class now for 2021. There's not a huge difference between number one and number two, right? The 13, 17 Mm. and 18 classes were awesome. And the 13 and 17 classes at least produced multiple future NFL stars. Is it about recruiting even better, or is it just about once they're here, recruit at that level and just somehow execute it better once they're Buckeyes? A little bit of both. Yeah, yeah number one, number two, pretty much the same. So you're right. But it's the you know 2015, number seven class, the 2016 with number four. It's I to not even get to not get completely into my reasons, but you know to kind of tread on that water a little bit. I think you can't be at, at number seven. It needs to be it needs to be a little better than that every single year on a more consistent basis. In 2019, we're going to throw out the window, and we know why we're going to throw that one out, out the window. But recruiting at this level, but maybe a little bit better, while also you know not you know maybe executing it better. So it's it's a little bit of both, a good mixture of both. I think. So I, that- I think your your use of the term luck too, Doug, is important, and I, it's it's a tricky term. But like last season was there was a lot of luck that didn't necessarily go in Ohio State's way, either the way the calls went in that game or the fact that LSU emerged and kind of upset the balance of what could have just been the Ohio State Clemson going head-to-head in the championship game. So um, you do have to have a little bit of luck on your – but that's such a hard thing to predict. Yeah, but that hasn't been the consistent thing for Ohio State. Luck hasn't – that yeah, 2019, of course, but the years before that and why they haven't won a playoff game weren't necessarily Uh, a luck factor. I don't think so. I, I would say part of the luck that didn't go their way was that nobody else lost enough for them to squeeze in. That I think that some of that is luck that it's like, okay, you hang the Ohio, you hang the Purdue loss in 18 on them, right? You hang that on them. But it killed them because like you kept waiting for other teams to lose. And I think I kept saying all that year, Notre Dame's going to lose, Notre Dame's going to lose, yeah. they didn't lose. And it's like the context around you does matter. And again, the 18 team, we know had flaws with that defense for sure. But you get him in the playoff, you let Haskins fling it around, you have Chase Young, you have Draymond Jones, you have Paris Campbell's really fast. You take your shot. And it was kind of unlucky 
that nobody else stumbled. So like, I, 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 like I agree with what you're saying. Cause again, that's the thing I go back to so much in the 14 playoff for them. It's about getting in 16. They probably shouldn't have gotten in. They got their doors blown off. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not the example to go by 15. Again, I don't know. Is that luck? I don't know. It was raining I don't, that night. You know, like, I don't know if it's luck or it's there's, I think there's a difference between you needing a little bit of luck versus you putting yourself in a position where you're relying on somebody else. But if, but if you're, if the threshold is, if you don't win every game, you're screwed. That's a hard threshold. And there's just enough times. Like what if the Michigan state guy misses the field goal at the end and now you go to overtime and you win, right? Like just stuff like that. It's it's not, it's not that luck went against them because you can't wait for a guy to miss a field goal, but there was luck that maybe could have gone their way. But all of a sudden, what? Navy beat Notre Dame? Holy crap. Or or what? That guy missed a, a makeable field goal and now you win in overtime? When you go back through the history of teams that have won, sometimes you'll find those, right? I mean, if we go back. Well, about Clemson, Clemson, yeah, Clemson just had one last season where, I mean, they're not in the playoff if, if North Carolina doesn't actually converge that two-point conversion. So there's to that point, yeah. And if TCU and Baylor, if, you know, they don't, if one of those teams goes undefeated and doesn't lose and, you know, or if the Big 12 has a title game and Ohio State winds up fifth in 14. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was going to say 2014 yeah. is almost an example. It's not perfect because they they looked so good after the Virginia Tech game. But, I mean, they lost a home to a seven-loss team. There's there's other years yeah. where that would have kept you out. And that and that there were seven other win years. Seven-win team, I should say. You know, that, yeah, I mean, that that Virginia tech loss. I mean, it was a little closer, but I mean, that was, I mean, that was complete, whatever. I mean, that was potentially as devastating as the Purdue loss. Right. But, but they, yeah. they overcame it yeah. because Sometimes of the it's context. Timing. Yeah. But, when, but, yeah. When the loss happens in the seat. Yeah. That's right. But if there's an undefeated big 12 tra- champ, like that's it. Yep. Oh, everything in yeah. Ohio state season goes exactly the same. Even 59, nothing against Wisconsin. And if the big 12 champ is undefeated, that's probably it. So they were a little lucky the way TCU and Baylor, the way that worked out. And the result is a title. I mean, imagine what we'd be doing if we were sitting here and they haven't won a title in 18 years and all these close calls. And we were thinking, oh, man, that 14 team at the end, they were playing really well. If only they hadn't been the fifth seed. Man, who knows what they would have done? I mean, we're not that far from that. We are not that far from that. And some, whatever you want to call it, it might be luck. It might be context, but it's sort of like the things that you don't control. Cause you don't control if the Michigan state kid makes the field goal. You don't control what Baylor's record is. Once you lose a game, you need a little help. If you go undefeated, Ohio state didn't need help last year. They took care of business. That was it. They didn't need help. There are times when you need a little help. And, and sometimes in the recent history, they haven't more often than not, I'd say they didn't get the help. And then it's not, you still hang it on them. You blew it. You lost the game. You lost the game convincingly, whatever. It's, but also, maybe there would have been a get-out-of-jail-free card if something else would have happened, and then those things didn't happen. <clears throat> Let's do quickly the Ohio State history of, again, how close they've been on some of these to maybe being in a position to have a little mini-dynasty. Because, again, I don't think that you would argue that they had it. The, the texture brought up a good example from the 50s. We're going to go a little more recent than that. We're going to go from the last title in 68 and then the 34-year gap to 2002. Here's one thing I want to bring up. Between 1968 
in 2002, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, there were eight seasons in which Ohio State was ranked number one at some point between 68 and 2002. That was in 69, in 70, in 73, 74, 75, in 79 and 80 with Earl Bruce, and then 98 with the great Cooper team. So that's a team, they're around it, right? They're number one at some point during the year in the AP poll, and they don't win the national title in any of those years. The Super Softs of 68 are probably the greatest missed mini dynasty for Ohio State. And some of you guys already know this, but we'll revisit it anyway, just real quickly. 68, they go, they go undefeated. The Super Softs, Rex Kern and Jack Tatum and everybody else. 10-0, they win the national title. 69, the next year, they're number one all year. They're number one from the opening week until they play Michigan. And they lose to Michigan in, in the beginning of the 10-year war. It's Bo's first year. They lose, they finish 8-1, and that's it. And if they beat Michigan and then go to the Rose Bowl again, they're probably back-to-back -back national champions, right? And then in 70, they take over as number one in week no, they're number one to start the year again in 1970 because it's all these guys are back as seniors, the super soft class. They start off as number one. They fall during the course of the year. They get down to number five. The Ohio State-Michigan game is number four versus number five. Michigan's four, Ohio State's five. Ohio State wins. They go to the Rose Bowl. They're now number two in the country, undefeated. They go to the Rose Bowl. They lose to number 12, Stanford. So that group in three years goes 27-2. and two with one national title, and I think you would say they probably underachieved with what they were. They had the, the killer Michigan loss that broke a 22-game winning streak that had started with the last four games of 67. They had the killer Michigan loss in 69, and then they lose their last game together in the Rose Bowl in 70. So that's a missed opportunity. That is an unbelievable three-year run, and it doesn't necessarily meet our, meet our current criteria of sort of stretching over two groups because that is all about one recruiting class, the most famous recruiting class in Ohio State history. And they were unbelievable. They got one, but they had the talent to get two, maybe even three. And then the other one that is, I think, worth bringing up, this is Archie Griffin's three big years in 73, 74, 75. 73, they're number one all year. They tie Michigan in 1973. Ohio State's number one, Michigan's number four. Then they beat USC in the Rose Bowl, and they finished number two with a tie. No losses, but a tie. Then in 74, they're number one most of the year, but they lose to Michigan State and then lose the Rose Bowl. So they have two losses that year. They finished number four. 75, they start off number three. In, number, in week five, they become number one. They're number one going into the Rose Bowl in 75. They lose to UCLA, number 11 UCLA they finish number four. So 73, 74, 75, they finish two, four, and four. But there's a Michigan tie, one killer loss to Michigan State, and then they lose the Rose Bowl with a national championship on the line in the, in the final game of Archie's career. So again, that's how close. That's how close. Now, if you want to talk about the Trestle era, they win in 0-2. They, they reach the title games in six and seven. You want to talk about the Urban era, right? 13, they're right on the cusp of making the national championship game. They would have taken their shot against Florida State that year, right? Or I guess it might have been – were they played Notre Dame that year? No, 12 – well, no, that's Florida State. 12, 
if they don't have the bowl ban, they go undefeated. People think they would have played for a national championship undefeated. 13, they're right there. They lose the Big Ten championship to Michigan State. 14, they win it. 15, they're probably the best team. They don't win it. So that's how close they are. So again, this is what, what someone's bringing up here. And I think we'll get to it soon in another text. The person says it. Nathan, what we're asking Ohio State to do, they've never done. And they've had the talent multiple times to do it, and it never happened. And it's, this is not a criticism looking back. It is a reality check of how hard it is. This program, almost every decade, has had the talent to be at that level. But what we are asking them to do now has never really been done. Yeah, and it, 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 I don't think it, it gets done very often by anybody. Again, that's the thing. Like we, you, you, as we look down the, the past examples of kind of the parameters that we've set out, you're talking about is there one team per decade that does that? And Ohio State's special, but are they are they so special that they separate in the history of college football? Um, now, what you could also argue, though, is that they are maybe one of the only programs whose name you throw around in that kind of elite cluster that hasn't done it yet. So maybe this is – are they due? Is it is, is Ohio State due to kind of have its dynasty that it hasn't had before? The way, I don't – you know, USC, uh, Alabama – whatever team you want to name that, that that has had those like is it their turn to finally get their their spotlight moment and, and reach that level that they haven't reached before is Ohio's, i don't think it's, it's not just going to happen on its own obviously it's not what i'm saying but is it just are they just do having not done it before you really slammed the question mark on the end of that one i could hear that is ohio uh, state due for a dynasty <laughs> love it can you just write that headline down right now is you Ohio- just sign off and start writing that right I mean, now. We, yeah. Listen, we have, we have to do two Buckeye takes a week, so we might as well start. Is Ohio State getting yeah, out there? And I'm not making fun of it. I, I, like, it's a great question. I mean, it's a great way to look at it. Maybe overdue. You think about, I mean, as good as they have been, you know, they went 34 years. They went 34 years between titles with how good they were. And think of how good they've been. And Trestle only got one and Urban only got one. You can absolutely, if you believe in that kind of thing, if you believe in karma or you believe like what goes around comes around or every, absolutely, I would throw that point into the discussion. A quick couple answers from the C, from the three percenters who said no, but chose not to insult me with their answer. From the 248, C, I'd be very happy with one title and two other playoff appearances. Clemson and Alabama are too good to ask for multiple championships. Equal footing with them, and I'd be happy. And from the 303, I think the number one factor is coaching continuity. It doesn't mean the coordinators have to stay, but it all needs to be the same system and in-house promotions. The number two thing is one of the next quarterbacks, the two current freshmen or Kyle McCord, needs to be a first-round pick caliber player. And again, their answer was C, a little bit of D, you know, a little bit of the insult, but not the whole thing. So when we come back, I will give you the programs in recent history that I think meet this threshold. And then we will get into all the yes answers, the 73 percenters, the A's and the B's who either wholeheartedly believe it or, you know, maybe have a little caveat, but certainly think it's possible. Again, join the discussion, join the discussion be a friend of the pod, 614-350-3315. Send a text there for the 14-day free trial. See what you think. We'll be right back with more mini Dynasty Talk on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, let's start with the hardcore, the A people. 
the all-in A people. From the 513, we're talking, here's some serious fanfic. Depending on how things work out with the running back room, I predict Master Teague will transfer to Tennessee after he doesn't have a role as he comes back in the middle of the year, and Marcus Crowley and Trey Sermon have a tight grip on things. The next year will be Crowley and Travion Henderson. If there is not a football season this year and Kyle McCord comes to Columbus with the same college experience as Stroud and Miller, McCord could win the job. I think if Henderson can overtake Crowley, he might lead them to a national title in year one. He's that special. I think he is the next running back to win a Heisman Trophy. They'll have three years of McCord throwing to those elite receivers. As for the defense, the average time of a play for opposing offenses could be less than two seconds with the D-line they'll have. What was said about 17 and 18 recruiting classes is what could happen with 20 and 21. Stacking elite recruiting classes is the formula. Everyone knows that, but it's the development that comes with those classes. Kerry Combs is back and gives me a lot of confidence in the secondary. There is no way Larry Johnson retires before the 21 group is gone. Brian Hartline is the next Brent Venables. Ryan Day is going to be a top five coach of all time. They have the coaching now to go along with those great classes. I'll be shocked if Ohio State does not have two more national titles by 2025 from the 513. Steven, are the juices flowing? Can you feel it? Can you feel the optimism? Yeah, of course I can. I mean, that was that was to the T. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's roll. Let's roll. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Get stoked up. All you Buckeye fans, listen to this out for a jog. I want you to drop your mile time by at least a minute as you listen to this stuff. Because I listen when I listen to good music or good podcasts, I run faster. So let's run faster. Here we go, Buckeye fans. Here we go. Here we go. From the 937. Ohio State has everything it needs to be a mini dynasty. Elite receiver and quarterback recruits, top recruiting classes, and great coaching. If they can get a title with Fields in the 2020 team, then that would mean all they have to do in your description of a dynasty is win one more championship with Stroud, Miller, McCord as a league QB. We all know Ohio State is a lock as a top three program in the country, so they will definitely make the playoff at least three, four times in the next five years. Bama and Clemson are elite programs, but with day and continuity and key coaching rooms, I think that's I think it's not a crazy question to ask. Look at 2019. We all know LSU is a Cinderella team, but if one of 10 or 15 plays goes differently against Clemson, then Ohio State makes the national championship and has as good a shot as any to beat Burrow with an elite secondary. Show the top tier ability that Ohio that shows the top tier ability that Ohio State has to become a mini dynasty. More fanfic from the 216. And not fanfic like crazy fanfic, but just like, you know. It's like the werewolf and then the Dracula and everybody falls in love, right? I mean, if you're going to write fanfic, it's positive, right? A, from the 216, I'm going out on a limb and predicting Ohio State. Here we go, Nathan. I'm, bring, I'm coming to you after this, Nathan. Going out on a limb and predicting Ohio State to win it in 20, 22, and 23 with Clemson winning it all in 21. Yes, the 21 class will be the main reason for the 22 and 23 success, but I also think the 19 and 20 classes had some very talented lower-ranked guys. And we've seen how good this staff is at identifying three-star recruits and developing them. Guys like Cade Stober, Craig Young, Enoch Vamahe, Noah Potter, Cam Martinez, and Mitchell Melton may take a while to develop but will turn into great contributors in their fourth and fifth years. Combined with the supreme talent of the top of the 20 and 21 classes in the recent QB recruiting, we get back-to-back titles. That's three in the next four years. Are you feeling it, Nathan Baird? I like the way they're thinking uh, because I think Ohio State has sort of proven that. I think the 2020 team's chances of winning a national championship are tied up in some of those same kind of guys, right? I mean, Thayer Munford, Chris Olave, you know, these guys were not necessarily top of the national boards 
recruits, but they're going to be significant players. You know, once you get into that narrow uh, group of the teams that are actually competing for a national championship, you all probably had, or all those programs probably had a handful of five-star guys every year or those high four stars or whatever. I really think hitting big on some of, some of those guys later down, it, the argument can really be made that that sometimes separates whether you're winning that championship or not. So um, I, I like the way they're thinking. And I, I think more to the point, again, we were talking about momentum here that, that seems to be building for Ohio state. And it's, it could be, it could be dangerous sometimes to, to base too much on this, these recruiting rankings and guys who haven't even been on campus yet. But I think it, it speaks more to Ohio State saw the success that they've been having now here for several years. As, as we've been talking about, they, they've been really, really, really successful, but just haven't broken into this kind of rare air of being able to, to be in dynastic talk. And they said that that's not enough, that there was another level that they had to get to in terms of, I think, talent acquisition and talent development. And that's what they're doing right now, it appears, with 2021-2022. From the 614, I think that the mindset of these young recruits, not to win a championship, but to win several, is the difference here. Doug, you always say the athletes come first, and they are the ones who have this standard. I am sick of being the third best program with decades of winning seasons. I want a dynasty. I'm over Michigan. I'm over Big Ten championships. I want everyone else in the country to question their coach, question their facilities, question their ADs, and question their own fandom. Ohio State is a juggernaut in a shadow, and it makes me sick. You say Urban created the scale of success on which we criticize him, yet we are the ex same exact thing, a dynasty-less big-time program that jumps up to bite Bama. We should jump up to no one ever, dynasty or bust, Evan in Oregon. I don't Steve, think he's alone in that thought process. Do you think, Stephen, that, that, that this could – that when we think about what would be required, that this 2021 recruiting class, like their attitude yeah, is part of this. And it's because uh, I think so. And the whole point of him going, I'm over Big Ten championships, I'm over Michigan, which obviously, I mean, yeah, you can't really be over Michigan. They think about it every day. But I do think that when you're talking about a, a coach who brought a national recruiting mindset to this program, and Ryan Day has continued that, a lot of these guys didn't grow up hating Michigan, and so now we've gotten to the point where, you know, they have to learn the Michigan rivalry once they get on campus. But they have been watching Clemson, and they have been watching Alabama, and they have been watching the national landscape of things. So that's the type of attitude they come in with. Travion Henderson doesn't know much about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. He's had to learn about it now that he's a part of the class. He's gone on record and say that. But he does know about winning national championships, and that's the type of attitude he brings. It's a very interesting point. It's, it's a very interesting point. That's what uh, they've traded in. They've traded in, I guess, you know, that, you know, that love of in-state, you know, pride and everything that comes with being a Buckeye and traded that in for we want to be where Alabama and Clemson are. And it's partially paid off. Now it's got to pay off in, you know, winning national championships. It's very – it's like I don't want to get too sidetracked on this. But I, I'll, I will ask it very quickly, Nathan. Is there any part of you that when you hear that, it feels like, okay, the minute you start like assuming the Big Ten's in the bag is when you set yourself up to lose to Michigan or lose the Big Ten? Or is that silly? Is it the talent disparity is so great that absolutely, yes, all systems go focus on Clemson, Alabama, focus on winning multiple national titles and and you know, Michigan and the rest of the Big Ten will take care of itself because they're just so good. 
I think even I think if you're focusing on having the talent to beat the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world, the the very very best in the nation. Um, then within reason, the Big Ten should kind of take care of itself. I don't think that necessarily sets you up to to get tripped up I, because I think you're still holding yourself to a, a really high standard. I think you're holding yourself to an even higher standard than if you said we just need to beat Wisconsin, right, or just need, just need to beat Penn State. You're holding yourself to an even higher standard as far as the people that you bring in and the way and the, the level that you develop them to, the depth that you have, the kind of quarterbacks you get, like all those things. Like you're, you're, you have an even higher than Big Ten level. So I don't think you take – you can't take the Big Ten for granted in, by any stretch. And I don't think that's what I'm saying. I don't think that was the spirit of your question. But you, you – I think if, as long, if you're setting your standards that high, then it should help protect you from having those kinds of stumbles against the Big Ten. From the 330, yes, the mini dynasty will absolutely happen. The most important aspect of the dynasty is continuity on the coaching staff. I actually see most of this staff sticking around. Kerry Combs is here to stay. Larry Johnson only leaves if he retires. This is Greg Madison's last stop at the coaching train. If Al Washington is smart, he uses the Luke Fickle plan and waits for the absolute best job. On offense, only Kevin Wilson is looking to be a head coach right now. And with every year that goes by, he becomes more entrenched in Columbus. Ohio State could have had a mini dynasty if Tom Herman had stayed in 2015. Lack of coaching coaching continuity killed that. Clemson has had the ultimate in coaching continuity and look at their mini dynasty from the 3-3-0. Nathan, we have had many discussions around this thing. Is that, I'm not asking you if it's on your three for sure, is that a at least an important factor in the mix? Or do you think that Ryan Day could lose guys because they go on to chances to be either in the NFL or be head coaches somewhere? And absolutely keep this rolling by making smart new hires. Well, yeah, I think it's it could be a little bit of both. I think you have to have continuity of – I think you can't do what one of our other texters alluded to, which is like make a big mistake with your staff. I think that can cost you, especially if you make it at the coordinator level. I think it really can cost you an opportunity. So I think it's more about when you do – if you're having this kind of success – you're going to lose those guys to other jobs. I don't. I, I think if you go back and look at each of these dynasties that we're talking about, you those teams, those programs occasionally lose coordinators, especially to head coaching opportunities, or they lose them to the NFL or whatever. You've got to be able to replace those guys without taking a big drop in production. From the five five nine, the twenty twenty Buckeyes are winning it all with an innovative head coach and the best quarterback in school history. Twenty twenty one takes a minor dip. 2022, we see a redshirt sophomore Stroud or a redshirt freshman McCord at the helm with the best skilled talent in America. Fleming, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, G. Scott are all draft eligible, and then sophomores Henderson, Harrison, Jr., Ballard, etc. National championship, obviously 2023 is more of the same, except the highly heralded class of 21 is now in their money year, and they live up to their class ranking. All these titles only make recruiting go off the charts even more, and you ask texters in 2023 – if the Ohio State dynasty will ever end from the 5-5-9 again. Steven, when you hear that, do you think, like if they got one now, because again, it's weird to think about that 14 title, right? I mean, that's six years ago. I guess if you're 17 years old and picking a school, you were 11 when they won it. You watched it. You thought it was cool, but it's not like super recent. If they win one, how what do you think that would do to the recruiting considering where the recruiting is now? What would, if you had a ring 
within the last year or two to show guys what would that mean for recruiting? I don't know if it makes that big of a difference in the long run when you're talking about it. Because look at Clemson. Clemson's not had a bunch of top rated, you know, top five recruiting classes in recent years, and yet they've won two national championships. So I think, I think there's definitely going to be a high, a five, one five star player who maybe gets excited and joins the bus, but then you know maybe a few months later he jumps off the bus. Corey Foreman did that exact same thing with did that thing with Clemson. He jumped on the bus and he jumped off. So I don't know if necessarily winning the national championship gets you the recruits. I think it's being in the ballpark and that recruit for some reason feeling like I'm that missing piece they need to get over the hump. That's interesting. It's almost like it's there's an appeal in being that. It's it's being needed. We all want to be needed. So if you feel like if they just add me, oh, we're we're out of here, then yeah, why? And that's a, the twenty one class feels like that. Where what's missing to go from you losing in a college football playoff game to winning a national championship? From the five one three, absolutely a mini dynasty will happen. This is important to really cement them as a top tier team along with Clemson and Bama. If it wasn't for a bowl ban in twelve, a loss to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship in thirteen, and the committee not leaving us out in 15, Urban Meyer could have been in three extra national title games. I think Ryan Day will get at least two, three title games over the next of the course five years and win at least two. Also, the 2022 national championship game is in Indianapolis. So come on, we're winning that one, right? Write it down Wednesday. That would be, that will be really crazy because it's still, it's going to be a tough ticket, right? I mean, we know all these, like the national championship game, it's so expensive, it's corporate, it's all that stuff. But I think like half the state of Ohio will be in the parking lot outside of Lucas Oil Stadium if Ohio State is playing for a national championship three hours away from Columbus. That will be unbelievable. And we will just have people stationed along uh, the highway between Columbus and Indianapolis on 70, just like doing stories about all the people driving past with Buckeye signs on their cars. From the 208, answer is A, depending on a few things. One, Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, and Brian Hartline keep coaching. The way these three both recruit and develop is how a dynasty is created. Yes, Doug, assistance matter, which is why Ohio State's been so good while Kerry Combs was gone, of course. Um, and is, which is why how before Brian Hartline got here, they never won a national title before. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm not going to go down my road. You guys know my road. The second thing is, is a continued great organization, i.e. Pantone, Mark Pantone and Mickey Marotti recruiting and strength coach. We all know that the way the quarterback development and recruiting is going. I really think this level of excellence is possible. Oh yeah. I almost forgot if Saban would retire, that would help. That's some people got into that. I don't think there's room for Ohio state Alabama. There's not, there's not, I mean, it's like by definition, it's like, Hey, you have to win like at least two in five years to be a mini dynasty. If you have three teams trying to do it, there's not enough national titles to go around. One of you is no longer at the mini dynasty level by our parameters. So somebody's got to go away at least a little. So you have to factor Clemson and Bama into this discussion somehow. And I think it's a very interesting thing to talk about. We'll keep talking about that from the four, four Oh, have you been reading your own recruiting texts? If your answer isn't a, that it will absolutely happen. Then I've got serious questions. And again, this is the kind of stuff that Steven is getting when he's talking to all these 21 kids and they're all saying this, which is kind of what gave us the idea to have this podcast. It's coming from Travion Henderson and Kyle McCord and everybody else in the 21 class. The most important aspect is Heisman level QB play and continued top five recruiting classes. 
Ryan Day has a legacy to make, and 2020 with Fields at the helm will get us started. From the 706, A, one, recruiting, staying in the top five. Two, coaching, keep coaches who can recruit and coach at a high level. Three, defense, hold opponents down. Number four, offense, too powerful. Five, intimidate. Teams already know they're going to lose. I will tell you that last one factors into my thinking on my list. From the 704, under Urban Meyer, it felt like Ohio State should have won at least two titles with the talent they brought in. Ryan Day doesn't seem as loyal to a fault as Meyer and will make the ruthless decisions that typically lead to national championships. I'm going to get to another one in a second about that ruthlessness from the 989 I totally believe a mini dynasty is in the works. The most important thing would be going at least four and one against Michigan during that time and beating Clemson and Bama at least once during that span. From the 818, pick an A because Saban retires from Bama. Dopey, which I guess is his affectionate name for Dabo Sweeney, leaves Clemson in sanctions and takes his scandals to Tuscaloosa and brings them down as well. So we said you've got to account for Bama and Clemson one way or the other. This texture from the 818 just kneecapped both of them. Um, you know, at least you have a plan. At least you have a plan from the <laughs> 813. From the 813, Ryan Day gets the right recruits, recruits like Trevion Henderson, who are actively trying to bring in other top guys and fully expect to win three national titles. I pulled out this text separately because it's about ruthlessness, which we have discussed on this podcast before. From the 513. The one thing that is most important for a mini dynasty is to not be afraid to remove an established veteran over someone more talented. No, this is not a Dwayne and JT discussion. In the moment, I still would have picked JT. This is what the person says. But for Ryan Day, don't be afraid to leave your quarterback room a little shaken up for a year. If Stroud and Miller want to transfer because you picked Kyle McCord, then so be it. You can't worry about the future of a position group when you're trying to win a national title every year. The current year is the only one that matters. Don't be afraid to pick McCord. Don't be afraid to feed Travion Henderson, even if Marcus Crowley or Master Teague can put together a 1,000-yard season. Be willing to make a bold move. And I think this person would point to Tua Tonga-Vailova coming in at halftime of a national championship game that Alabama won. And I think they would point to Trevor Lawrence unseating Kelly Bryant when Kelly Bryant the year before at Clemson had led Clemson to the number one seed in the playoff. They lost in the semifinals, but Kelly Bryant is the starting quarterback. And by the second month of the season, true freshman Trevor Lawrence has taken over and they win a national title in Trevor Lawrence's true freshman year. That ruthlessness, again, we've talked about, does Ryan Day have it maybe more than Urban Meyer? And we used bringing in Justin Fields over top, Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin as an example of it. And we, of course, use Urban use used Urban sticking with JT Barrett instead of moving to Dwayne Haskins is maybe of an example of him not doing it. Nathan, do you believe that's an, an important factor? I do. I think that's a good way to, to put that specific. It kind of factors into one of my answers, I think, but ruthlessness is a good example. I think that's, I think I even said, didn't I say this on the podcast a couple months ago, we were talking about something else. And I said, basically like whatever line of work you're in, like you tend to find with anybody who's the, the, at the very, very, very highest level of success, you probably find a pretty strong correlation with ruthlessness, not necessarily being like underhanded or crooked, but just being ruthless, like being willing to just make those hard decisions and not look back. And I think that is definitely a component in what we're talking about. 
Would, would you say that the willingness to just scream at people and believe you are right, even no. when everybody else disagrees with you, and just to continually talk about what you think, even if some people think you're talking in a circle? Nathan, would you say that those would be examples of the kind of ruthlessness that you need to be successful? I, I don't think in any way is that a definition of, of ruthlessness. Um, I think the word you're looking for is um, Douglas. annoying. Uh, no. <laughs> Douglasness. <laughs> Big difference. You know, Steph, I mean, you say tomato, I say tomato, right? <laughs> Fine line between love and hate. Um, this one, Stephen, get your ears open for this. I thought this was an interesting point. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to the Bs. So we've covered the Ds, the Cs, and the As. We're going to get to the Bs, which was the highest vote, the 44% or 43%, whatever it was. Uh, I have not read any of those responses yet, but we have some other interesting text responses sort of in the midst of this. Um, so I wanted – this is uh, Ian from San Francisco. You guys have hinted on the pod at discussing a potential dynasty brewing at Ohio State. Well, consider this. When J.C. Latham, the number one tackle in the country – Committed to Big Bad Bama recently, I was disappointed to say the least. When he was trending Ohio State's way throughout the spring, I was thinking more and more about the possibility of pairing another stud, number one ranked bookend tackle with Paris Johnson. Just imagine those two dudes clearing massive run lanes for Travion Henderson and pancaking helpless edge rushers so Miller and Stroud can use Ryan Day's passing scheme to sling it around to Julian Fleming and the deepest, most talented receiving core in the country. Then complement that with the Larry Johnson coached pass rush and the Kerry Combs coached secondary on the other side of the ball. You guys have started to poke at the idea of an Ohio State dynasty and asked what it would look like. That is what it would look like. I was frothing at the mouth thinking of that scenario. Just thinking about it has been my quarantine medicine for the past three months. But of course, it was too good to be true. I can't complain given the overall success in recruiting recently, but geez, I wanted that one bad. Steven, on the last podcast on Tuesday, and I would recommend everybody go to listen to that, as we talked about the 2021 recruiting class, who still might be added to it. They are still in the mix for three five-star guys. We think they have a good chance at at least one or two of them, but J.C. Latham was the guy they did not get. Can a couple close calls on five stars like be the difference here say that they go over three on the last three five stars that are out there right now that we talked about like is that how high this bar is that man you know missing on jc latham really could turn out to be the difference between that one more title or not when you're talking about this high of an expectation can one or two five stars really be the dividing line Yes, depending on what schools they go to. Let's just think Jackson Carmen. Not only did you lose him, but now you now you have to deal with him. And with J.C. Latham, not only did you lose him, but um, for, as far as we know with Alabama, you're eventually going to have to deal with him if you want to win a national championship. So that's when it becomes a problem. If they're choosing, if we, we've already said it, if Ohio State's going to rise up into this and you know, be a mini dynasty, Either Clemson or Alabama has to come down. Well, if you're losing five-star guys to Clemson or Alabama, they're probably not coming down, which is impacting you being a mini dynasty at some point. So you're not going to get every five-star, but you have to watch where they go. Because if you have to deal with them, that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. It's a double loss because it's a loss for you and a gain for somebody else. And I don't know that – You're dealing with them – now you're dealing with them developed. 
And, and now, like, other than, like, a Deshaun Watson, and we covered that on the Five Recruiting Misses podcast, you know, what if Ohio State had gotten Deshaun Watson and how that might have changed everything? A quarterback, it's clear. I don't know that anybody else, a single, if it's not a quarterback, I don't know that a single recruit makes a difference. But no. you, it happens two or three times. You know, two or three times in a class, you're right there with the guy, and then you don't get him. I mean, you think about what if Chase Young had gone to Alabama? And not that I'm saying Chase Young, that was his choice or anything. But it was on the list with Maryland. I so. mean, you get close. <laughs> like if you just, you know, one or depending who it is. Again, quarterback is obvious. But I do think not just one, but if there's two or three in a little run where it's like, oh, we were so close to getting that guy and we lost him. And like you said, now we have to go through him instead of having him with us. I do think that can make a difference. Let's do this real quick. The teams that I said in the modern era, for lack of a better word than modern, that would meet the threshold, basically, of a mini dynasty by the parameters we established. These are the teams in chronological order. Miami won national titles in 87, 89, and 91. In a seven-year stretch from 87 to 92, this was their finish in the AP poll. Two, one, two, one, three, one, three. So again, we didn't have a four-team playoff back then, but basically they would have been a playoff team every year, and they got three in six years. So they and we know who we know what that is. And and again, I'm gonna bring that up later. I think like being able to say get a picture in your head of what a program was like, you know what the you in the late eighties and early nineties was all about. I think that's indisputable. They are one of those. Nebraska, 94, 95, 97. Three national titles in four years. They hit the threshold. We know what that is. That Nebraska, that run game, the black shirt defense, Tom Osborne, we know what that is. This one is slightly iffy. Florida State is hard because they didn't win that many titles. But between... 1987 and 2000, this is where they finished in the AP poll over more than a decade. Two, three, three, four, four, two, one, four, four, three, 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 one, five. So, like. And that five was after they lost the national championship game or lost what was, it wasn't the national championship game, I guess, but dropped all the way to five, kind of inexplicably. And so, in their best stretch, it's hard because it gets so like in 96, they lost the nationals. What was a national championship game in 98? They lost the national championship game and in 99, they won it. So that's playing for three national titles in four years and winning one. We know that's Bobby Bowden. We know that what that's about. They don't quite hit our threshold specifically, but my God, for a decade, they were a top four team like every single year. I think our our idea for the mini dynasty is a good one, but then we have to allow for the fact that if you stretch that level of excellence over a long enough period of time, I think you qualify even if it doesn't come with an abundance of championships. So I think so. so right, I mean Bowden, Florida State, one way or another, you got to throw them into this mix. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next one is USC. Oh three, oh four, oh five, oh three. They split the national title. Oh four, they win it. Oh five. Everybody thinks they're the greatest team in college football history, and then they lose to Texas. But that's three straight years. And then, again, overall, between 02 and 08, these are their finishes in the AP poll, 4 one, one, two, four, three, three. 
So again, like right there, it's two titles. It's as close as you can be to a title when it would have been a three-peat. And then right in the mix, top four in four other years around it. I think USC definitely is Stephen. And we know what that is. That's Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Lendale White. Do you agree with that, Stephen? I do agree with that. They're, that's consistency. And also it's been 20 years and we're still talking about it. So then the next two are both Bama. And I split the Bama like on one hand, Nathan, to your point, okay, dynasty, the Saban era is a dynasty. I split it and also into two mini dynasties because they won three out of four. They won in nine, 11, and 12. So they won three out of four. And now in this modern era, they won in 15 and 17, and they've been in, they were in two other national title games right around it, and then five straight playoffs. So they lost in the semifinal to Ohio State in 14. Win it in 15, lose the title game 16, win it in 17, lose the title game in 18. So it's splitting hairs, I guess, but I called that two separate mini dynasties within one gigantic Saban dynasty. And then the last one is Clemson. Lose the title game 15, win it in 16, lose the title game 17, win it in 18, lose the title game 19. So five straight title games and two titles. That's absolutely in our parameters. So four, there's a, four, four title games and one in five playoffs. Right. Oh, because the one year they didn't lose in the title yeah, game, they yeah, lost in the lost semifinal to Bama. To Bama. Mm-hmm. Right. right, you're right. Because then Georgia was in the title game. Right. Four, five playoffs, four title games, two titles. Um, you know, like Alabama in 77 through 79 finished second, first, and first. Oklahoma, 73 to 75, finished second, first, and first. You know, but it's just back farther than that. Florida, I didn't include, as I said, Florida between 06 and 09, first, 13th, first, and third. I guess you could argue for them, but I think it's a little shy of it, a a, a tiny bit shy, the two titles and then losing the SEC championship game. But that's it. So by my definition, since the mid-80s, Miami, Florida State, Nebraska, USC, Bama, and then Clemson. So, Nathan, you talked about, like, great programs. That's a lot of the best programs have had it. Ohio State really hasn't. You know, we can argue about all the specifics, but when that historical context, does it bring you back to your point that Ohio State might be due? Yeah, I mean, what other major national programs belong on that list that aren't on it? I mean, as far as just, like, the stature of the program, the way that we think of the program. And maybe some of this comes back to – kind of the king of the north thing that Ohio State has, and maybe it's a unique thing unto itself that is maybe it always gets stuck on that second tier. I don't know. But, like, they're really the only program. I don't know who else you would include. I mean, maybe, I guess, Florida, considering how close they came to to breaking through to our definition but not quite getting there. Um, I suppose you could say Texas would be another that has like all so many things going for it, but maybe didn't get to that level. But it, there are very, very few schools that you would talk about programs. You would talk about besides Ohio state that you would maybe just assume should go on a list like this. Cause in terms of prestige, I think they do go on this kind of list. It's just that the, the result, the cluster of results hasn't been there. So let's get to the 44%. The yes, maybes, the not quite all in, no matter what absolutely going to happen. But the, yeah, everything's in place, but, you know, it's hard. This is the group that won the vote from the 614. 
To achieve the mini dynasty, I think development of the top recruits is essential. I feel like Urban was getting good recruits before leaving, but development stalled for some reason. Recruiting is the lifeblood, but developing that talent is essential to really establishing that dynasty, in my opinion. I think Day can do it too. So it's a great point. I disagree with that. Like, like they were sending NFL dudes all the time. Like, I don't – Urban recruited 17 class that, like, everybody at the top practically turned into a stud. They had all these top 50 recruits. Chase Young, stud. Jeff Okuda, stud. Sean Wade, stud. Wyatt Davis, stud. J.K. Dobbins, stud. Like, the idea that at the end Urban didn't develop maybe, I, I actually – I think that's, that's wrong. I don't know. Like, again, it's like it's okay. It's okay for everybody to love Ryan Day – but let's not lose track yeah. of what's going on here. And I do think this is a separate I love Ryan Day email that I wanted to include at the front of this because everybody, the 73% in the yeses, it's a Ryan Day love fest. It, you, can't, it can't, you can't think a dynasty is, is possible or realistic without loving the coach. So they love this dude. From the 614, if they win one this year, a season in which they have a Heisman front runner, an extremely complete team, then it's absolutely possible that A will happen. It's not hard to imagine Day developing another incredible quarterback in the next four years. The problem is we may not even crown a 2020 champ. I think Dabo is going to struggle with empowered athletes. I think a lot of the feisty dad coaches are going to struggle. That style of coach, right? player-friendly coaches like Day are primed to succeed. He understands the modern athlete. I'm so glad he's our coach. He's an excellent human, so easy to root for. What were we talking about? The 614 just got so enveloped in Ryan Day love, they lost the thread. <laughs> Steven, you wrote about this the other day for your Buckeye yeah. Take about how Ryan Day is handling this moment in society with society becoming more invested in Black Lives Matter and the unequal treatment of African-Americans in society, and certainly there is college football, is part of that right now. How does that it, – it's not right – we understand this. This is a, a much bigger societal thing than how it affects college football recruiting, right? Where it's, but you live in the world. Everybody lives in the world. When you think about something like this, a mini dynasty, and the world, and living in the world, is this a factor, Ryan Day and the way he and the program have sort of handled things here and how you expect they might handle things down the road with where we seem to be heading in society? 100% it's a factor because these kids can get on the internet and they have followings in their own platforms now, and they're going to be paying attention to how coaches handle these issues that actually matter to them. But also it's just something Ryan Day has always said. You can't, you know, the days of, being all lovey-dovey on a recruit and then he gets on campus and you're asking a kid, hey, how soon did it take for them to stop treating you like a recruit and start treating you like a player? He always says that that never really stops. Some of that is because of the transfer portal, but also just the evolution of coaches where, you know, you can't necessarily be the way coaches were 20 years ago. You can't really even be the way coaches were 10 years ago. And Ryan Day has acknowledged that and understood that. And you see it in the way he coaches and the way he handles issues like this. Back then, coaches probably weren't thinking about issues like this. Now they have to, and Ryan Day has been one of the few coaches who has been at the forefront of making sure that players and recruits alike understand that I understand where you're coming from, and I'm on your side of things. 
From the 330, if Ryan Day can keep recruiting top three classes with an occasional number one class thrown in, find a way to limit turnover in key coaching areas, like by having a Brent Venables, and adopt the no spot is safe attitude, see Jalen Hurts at Bama, then yes, I think that can happen. Would also feel a teensy bit more confident if we knew Day was going to stick around long term and not flirt with the NFL. From the 614, Clemson recruiting has picked up, and it's crazy to think what they can do with top three classes, but the Buckeyes are that good compared to years before Dwayne Haskins when the offense was not as dynamic. To me, a dynasty would be one championship, one hard-fought championship loss, and in the playoffs every year. Missing the playoffs means it's not a dynasty. Achieving dynasty means recruiting and player development. Simpleton answer, but those that recruit high and develop win. The Buckeyes relied on player development under Trestle. Urban raised the bar in recruiting, but lost steam on player development with some bad coaches late in the tenure. They can do it all if he avoids the bad coaching hires. Matt from the 614. Uh, again, I think you're wrong on the player development thing. If you want to be like, if you think Greg Schiano's defensive scheme in 2018 sucked, like, cool. I mean, like, like nobody, nobody disagrees with that. I don't, I don't know where, like, show me the, show me the busts. What, what, what lack of player development are people talking about? Here? If, if I, don't, I don't even know what they mean. The only thing I could maybe allude this to is maybe just quarterbacks because it took Ohio State a little bit longer to, you know, catch up with the quarterback. Development, but, but JT, but JT was, you know, he was, he, they won games. He just wasn't, you know, able to the, win a national championship. But it's not like JT. They, it's not that they didn't, they didn't develop JT. Yeah, it's just JT, his talent Matt, level was his talent level was his talent level. That's and a I recruiting think, choice. That's a yeah. recruiting. choice. I mean, the idea that like, oh, if they would have developed JT Barrett better, he would have been better. JT maxed out, man. JT yeah, maxed out. I don't think the difference between them getting Ryan Day and JT Barrett's redshirt sophomore year and him getting him in this last year isn't the difference between JT Barrett being a first round draft pick and you know being on and off practice. Tom Herman was good. Yeah. Again, it's like I'm not I don't mean to throw water on the Ryan Day Love Fest. I will mostly <laughs> throw water on anything that thinks, hey, this assistant coach was blank, but every other assistant coach next to him sucked. No, Herman was Tom, good. Tom Herman, I mean what they did in 14 with JT Barry as a redshirt freshman is unbelievable. And it's no coincidence. He was probably better in 14 than he was in 15 and 16. And again, as I've said for the millionth time, coach assistant coaches are replaceable. You just have to replace them. Well, so I think it's less about keeping every single good assistant coach. And when you lose them, which you probably will replacing them with good guys. But the idea that somehow that urban at the end wasn't developing I think is is like factually wrong. I'm like the idea of if they underachieved as a team or should they have won another title, or whatever. That's it's not because of development. It's, Out, that's just outside wrong. of Justin Fields, the bulk of the production on this 2019 squad was built off the development of coaches hired by Urban Meyer. Yeah, and it was all 17 guys. It was the number two recruiting class in the country who all became awesome. So I don't know. That's just wrong. From the 216, the B, answer B, the most important aspect is not screwing up the next round of coaching hires. This is Joseph in Atlanta, and I agree. When Ohio State wins a title, they'll lose several guys. It's just the way it usually goes. But by definition, you can't make three-plus playoffs in five years if you throw multiple years away with the next Beck or Davis. Joseph listens to the podcast. From the 513, it's possible but not easy with Clemson and Bama around. Doug, why have you not brought up the most important recent development potentially affecting Ohio State football? The petition to change Columbus's name to Flavortown. Yes. Don't pretend that it wouldn't be fantastic for the Buckeyes and a fantastic fit with Buckeye Talks culinary segments. 
I primarily want it to happen so I can hear how Gus Johnson works it in after hard hits and long touchdowns. Plus, hometown hero Guy Fieri as a celebrity guest picker at game day when Bama rolls into Flavortown would be a major plus. Love. I'm be honest. If they rename Flavortown. If they rename this town Flavortown, I refuse it. I'm going to go and hopefully get my birth certificate to be changed so it doesn't say I'm from here. Are you in on living in Flavortown, Nathan? No. Um, <laughs> as much as I have a problem with the, the legacy of Christopher Columbus, I think that might be taking it a bit too far. I will never be a native of Flavortown. So this would be Flavortown State that we cover? Well, no, it'd still be Ohio Columbus State. State. It'd just, it'd be, yeah, Flavortown State would be the yeah. community college. I like to think that I already am a resident of Flavortown, which is just how I roll. I don't need a city to change its name to know that I'm all about Flavortown, but I don't know. It's probably a weird name. Uh, let's see more B answers from the 614. The most important thing to Ohio State achieving that success is their continued defensive dominance. Under day, the offense and quarterbacks will be good. Under Heartline, the receivers will be good, and the offensive line is as solid looking at the future as you could expect. The concern has to be keeping the defensive recruiting and development at Ohio State, Georgia, Bama levels. With Larry Johnson at the tail end of his career, Kerry Combs with the temptations of head coaching offers, Al Washington on the rise, and Dave being offensive-minded, it would only take one or two bad hires to turn Ohio State into Oklahoma if for only one or two years, a la 2018. That's not the only person to say this. And we'll get to some more of those. Nathan, that idea, that defense – and that we use the Oklahoma example here already. If you can't play defense, are you ever going to get over the top? And that it's the opposite side of the ball from the head coach. And that Nick Saban is a defensive guy, but he's a great – he had Kirby Smart for a long time there. Then he had Mel Tucker. He had some really good defensive coordinators there. We know what Brent Venables has meant to Clemson. Where does great defense matter into this in your mind? I don't put it on the same level as offense. However, I think, as we've recently discussed on the pod, when you look at what LSU did last year, that defense was better than people gave it credit for and was a bigger port, was a bigger part of why they were as dominant as they were um, when you look back on the, on the course of a season. So I think I agree with the texture that it can't, you cannot get by with just an offense alone. You cannot go out and win an arena league national championship you've got to be able to go out and stop teams um but i don't put it on the same level i still put i I put a different level of importance on in the modern game you know getting a quarterback and having an offensive system that's um knowing your identity and being well cultivated more than i do on defense from the six seven eight b i wanted to say a but i don't think it's a lock But I think the one thing that needs to happen is sustained elite QB play. I think aside from Bama's dynasty, when football was just a different style of game, the best quarterback is always holding up the trophy. Deshaun Watson, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. I know, uh, who is the Coker quarterback at Bama? Was it Jake Coker? Is that right? I know Coker won one, but he played very well down the stretch. I think this year with Fields, we have a shot. And then hopefully with whoever starts after him, That will give us a chance to run off some titles. But Bama and Clemson having some five-star quarterbacks waiting. So it's going to be a quarterback duel for the 20s dynasty Um, from the 6-7-8. That's interesting. Again, the top three quarterbacks in the class of 20. 20. 20. 
went to Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. Yeah, all from California. Bryce Young, DJ, whose last name I can't say, and CJ Stroud. It is interesting. And, Stephen, we're getting into a lot of answers that are around this. And this is – I think when people say they love Ryan Day, this is the number one reason why they love him. They love the recruiting. They love the way he relates to players. The thing they love the most is that it feels like college football has – morphed into a quarterback game and they think they have a quarterback guru running the program. Isn't that a lot of this, that it starts with the QBs? Yeah, because, because that's his expertise. I don't think you necessarily, obviously you still have to make some good hires for quarterback coaches, but it's not a dire situation with hiring quarterback coaches because they're coming, any high level quarterback who comes to Ohio state is coming here because of Ryan day and not necessarily 100% because of whoever the quarterbacks coach is. I mean, I think it's an obvious point, but it's one we have to bring up. And we'll, I'm sure yeah. it'll come up when we do our three list. Uh, from the 937, I picked B. That many titles in five years is just really tough for a program like Ohio State. And what I mean by that is how Ohio State seems to operate with more transparency than Alabama and Clemson. So it's more likely for setbacks here and there due to minor violations or a scandal. What More fanfic. One thing that would help Ohio State achieve the mini dynasty is if Dabo's house catches fire while he and his entire family are away. Don't want anyone to get hurt. And while the fire department is nobly putting it out, they stumble upon his secret dungeon of OAN wardrobe. Luckily, one of the firefighters is a South Carolina fan and exposes everything, thus hurting Dabo's ability to recruit. Saban will have retired by then, leaving Ohio State as the unquestioned king of the mountain. Um, fanfic. How do you even break that story? Fanfic. Fanfic. We need sources in uh, South Carolina fire departments to figure that out. But it's like Clemson head coach's house burned down. Oh, and by the way, coming up at 11, we found this in the basement and saved just that. His secret wardrobe that yeah. hurt recruiting. Uh, from the 423, the most important thing would be coaching consistency. If the current coaching staff remains the same for five seasons, I have no doubt that it would be achievable. I have full confidence in the current coaching staff. Recruiting continuing at the current clip would be the next best thing if they continue to have the top, a top three to five recruiting class, then reloading instead of rebuilding makes this easy. From the 585, has to be B. I'm a pretty blinders person, but it's tough to say definitely going to get two in four years when Bama is angry and Dabo is doing his thing. So if Saban retires and Dabo leaves and it's just down to Bama, then it's like Dabo at Bama. So you no longer have to worry about Clemson. And the Buckeyes, well, Clemson's going to have Brett Venables as their head coach then. And it's just down to Bama and the Buckeyes. It has to be, you have to be more inclined to look at two titles. The most important part of any run for a mini dynasty is beating Clemson as often as possible. The SEC teams don't have the ability to say, well, they don't play Bama. They already got Zeke and that memory will last forever. Clemson is the team you have to beat. This person wants to win a dynasty by stomping on Clemson, basically, from the 585. It's that 0 and 4 against Clemson thing is hanging over that. From the 3-3-0, the most important reason will be Ryan staying in Columbus and quarterback play. Before Day's arrival, quarterback play was solid college quarterback play. Since the arrival of Day, Ohio State quarterback play has been elite. Top 10 NFL draft type of talent, and the future looks bright. I also believe Ryan Day will adjust his offense, his defenses, adjust to his schemes. Adjusting is something that I believe may have stopped Urban from having a dynasty. I also believe Day would make a hard decision like Saban did when he benched Jalen Hurts. From the 317, for a dynasty to happen, the honest answer is luck. To your point, Nathan, even if recruiting remains elite, 
A quarterback steps up next year and becomes a three-year star, and there is coaching continuity. The margin for error is still so thin. So you have the quarterback, you have the recruiting. Still, a lot has to go right. There are a few teams each year that are capable of winning the title, like Ohio State last year, and obviously only one can. I'm glad someone brought up luck. From the 740, can I say B but add on D? Sure, I think they have the talent and the coaches, but it's a gauntlet, and asking for two to three and five years is too much for me. Let's be logical. With all that talent and potential loss of coaches, I think avoiding transfers are the biggest aspect to achieving them in the dynasty. If Day makes this work by winning the Natty this year out of the box, the recruiting will only get better. That's JJV in Galapagos. From the 937, I'm somewhere between A and B. I don't believe it's hard to imagine them winning two to three titles and competing for it every single year. The talent is as good as it gets with the stellar coaching staff. When the image and likeness goes into effect, it's only realistic to think the recruiting only improves. All of that being said, though, it is so hard to achieve perfection in this sport. If a team doesn't show up with their A game for an hour on Saturday, the entire season can be changed. Nathan, I think this is one of the interesting things as we project to a future, right? I think it's possible there might be things in place that you can see benefiting Ohio State. One is name, likeness, and image, as we've talked about. If it gets to that, maybe Columbus is more situated than smaller college towns. To capitalize on that, Ohio State is already selling that to recruits, as Stephen has written about. If college players, if black college players are becoming empowered with their voices and are showing their interest in societal issues, and Ryan Day is more open to, to that. That is a change in the voice of college players, and Ohio State seems to have adapted to that. And if we think that not getting in the play, like the getting in the playoff is one of the hardest parts of this for Ohio State, if we think they're going to an eight-team playoff down the road, even if it's six years away, maybe it's sooner, that would seemingly benefit Ohio State. Does it feel like to you, Nathan, that Yes, they're in good position now, but the way college football is moving, they could wind up in even a better position for something like this. Yeah, it's what I meant when I referred to momentum kind of earlier in this conversation. And it's not just the recruiting momentum. It's not just the momentum of what you're seeing on the field, the team that's in that playoff contention every year, but it's just sort of the momentum of the program. You feel like this is a, a modern program that maybe may even be ahead of the times or ahead of the game a little bit, ahead of the curve in a couple of those aspects. I think it is interesting when you start talking about the power that the players have, and I know that we're talking about a very specific kind. I think you've seen some dynasties that, that, that uh, did not sustain maybe a little bit because um, things got a little bit undisciplined. So I think that's an interesting balance to try to keep is that you're, you're, you're keeping a, a, a disciplined program while also empowering the players in these other important ways. And it'll be interesting. To, I think that that's, that's a thing that can happen at Ohio State, partially because I think we've just advanced from the 80s when you saw some of those other programs have, have that kind of problem. Um, but I also think it's important. Um, the, the name, image, and likeness thing may end up being the biggest deciding factor here, right? I mean, if they're, they're the kind of things that you can do at Ohio State that are unattainable at some of these other programs, and where, as we've talked about before, where you are the main football presence in that city in a way that you aren't at Miami or um, in USC. some of these other places. Right. USC, a great example. Um, I think that there's something there that, that Ohio state could use to elevate itself to another level. It's the ultimate tiebreaker is what it is when you're and choosing between two high level national championship contending programs. It's probably the tiebreaker that gets Ohio state 
that five-star recruit. Or maybe in the future, the J.C. Latham chooses Ohio State over Alabama because of that reason alone. And and I think the 18 playoff too is 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 also interesting as we talked about before how that could benefit Ohio State. I think you start it, it gives teams when you start talking about putting together what's a real dynasty those those years where you're in near miss and you just miss out on that that top four. This gives you your opportunity, kind of your second chance to go in and prove it. So um, that could also be something that I think helps Ohio State more than it helps some of these other programs. And as I've written and as everybody realizes, I mean, nobody has missed out on the 14 playoff era more than Ohio State. Nobody's been more affected mm-hmm. by it. And so you got to win an extra game, but they would much rather have that. They'd go to 18 play an 18 playoff tomorrow. It practically guarantees that they're going to get in because the Big Ten champ is in for sure. And given, again, now the respect for the Big Ten comes back into play because the Big Ten, the second team in the Big Ten is going to have a better chance, I think, of getting in than the second team in the Big 12 or second team in the Pac-12, and all of a sudden, if you're telling Ohio State to have a chance to win the national championship, you need to be one of the two best teams in the Big Ten. When are they not going to hit that threshold? Yeah, yeah. They hit that threshold every year of the playoffs so far, but they've only been in three times. So that's what we're talking about. I guess you could argue in 15 they actually were the third-ranked Big Ten team because Michigan State made it, Iowa was five, and Ohio State was seven, but come on. You know, Ohio State was better than Iowa and Michigan State that year. But anyway, that's the point, right, that that it opens a door. And if they had had an 18 playoff, I think Ohio State probably would have another title because rather than winning a title one of the three times they've been in the playoff, they would have been in six times and probably won another one. From the 330, this person was very eager. They got their response in just before the podcast. But we got you in from the 330. Hopefully I get this in in time, Doug, but my answer is a combination of B and D. First off, I think the Buckeyes are good enough to have a mini dynasty, but with Bama, Clemson, and the proverbial team coming out of nowhere, I think that a mini dynasty would be very hard to accomplish. I think I would be satisfied with one title in the next five years. I think the one thing that would put them in position to maybe accomplish it would be to have a consistent top three to five recruiting class, and within those classes have a top tier QB. Recruiting is the lifeblood of a program, and even year a one even a one year slip up can put you behind. From the eight six four, Ohio State is recruiting well enough and is currently coached well enough. But one, can one of these star quarterback recruits be the real deal? And two, how long does Day and the key assistants, Hartline Johnson Combs, stick around? Um, again, people who are like, we can't win a national championship without Kerry Combs. When he wasn't here last year and they were as good as any team in the country. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But also, I get it. From the 412, they're talented, but the competition will probably make it tough. Number one most important thing to reach the mini dynasty level would be, would be continued Heisman level quarterback play. Two more. From the 614, Smoky Mango here, and I think it's B. But I disagree that in a 14 playoff, you need more than two titles. Elite teams can miss the playoff in a four-team setup. So give me two in five years with this format. Also, I think if they get to and they have to go through both Bama and Clemson in some regard, that's the rarefied air. That you win two and you're beating Bama and Clemson along the way. Look at 2014. Everyone remembers beating Bama, not Oregon. Last year, all the talk is about LSU getting Central Oklahoma Middle School and avoiding one of the big boys in the semifinals. If any team has to go through two out of the three, out of Bama, Clemson, and OSU, that's a legit championship in the makings of a dynasty. Last one from the B category, from the 44%, from the 614. What, is ha- what has to happen? Ryan Day sticks around. 
I am a believer in Day. I think he is the best offensive mind in the country. And on top of that is young enough to really relate to players. The Black Lives Matter video is a great example. Um, he'll keep landing top five classes. He'll keep bringing in coaches as they leave. There are, a, they are, there are a ton of talented teams, but they will have one title and three playoff bursts in the next five years. That's what this texter from the 614 expects. One title, three playoff bursts, two titles and four playoff bursts is the ceiling. So those are all the examples from the A, B, C, and D. Again, the voting was 44% yes, maybe, 29% all yes, 23% no, Doug, you're an old man, 3% no. I have a couple more other general emails, but basically what we're gonna get to now is what the three of us think are the three biggest things that have to happen for an Ohio State mini dynasty to exist, and then could it actually happen? That's next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. It's been good so far. From the 248, every four years, give me two Big Ten titles, three and one versus Michigan, and two playoff appearances. Anything above that is gravy. It's interesting to people who still are willing to like define your season sort of by conference play, right? You win the Big Ten, you beat your rival, and then anything after that, like, of course you're going to be in the playoff mix if you do that. But anything after that is gravy. Steven, that idea, I don't think you agree with that, that like the national picture stuff is gravy and it really is about beating Michigan and winning the Big Ten. I, I understand fans who think that way, but I don't think you think that. Do you, Steven? No, I don't. I think obviously you can't look at winning the Big Ten and beating Michigan as a given. It has to be – you do have to still have a level of focus on it. But to the point of what a texter said earlier, eventually, you know, you have to kind of move – that. it should be a level of a given of, okay, we're going to take care of business in the Big Ten, and our, our main focus is getting past the Alabamas and Clemsons and the LSUs and Oklahomas of the world because that's the that's our competition. You shouldn't be looking at, you know, Big Ten teams. You should be above that almost. If you're, if you're going to achieve a dynasty, you should feel like you're above that, and you should be going out there and proving that all, throughout October and November. I will say I don't think – and I'm not a Clemson – Daily Observer, I know we have at least one texter who's like a Clemson fan and an Ohio State fan simultaneously, and I love having that person in the texter family because they can give us some insight sometimes. I would imagine Clemson's goal is not winning the ACC. No, yeah. but the only thing you can control is your regular season. Well, that's so that, I, I do true. kind of agree with the point that that person's making, that if, if as long as you're taking care of your business in the regular season – and, and you're doing it on a consistent basis, you're going to be in position to have some say in the national landscape. I think that's different than saying that should be the focus over the national landscape. That's I, just saying we should be taking it, which is an obvious. I know, but it, that's saying the obvious. I will say, I think the gap between Ohio State and everyone else in the Big Ten and the gap between Ohio State and Michigan is so great I do think it makes sense for your goals to focus on something above that. And it's not taking it for granted. And as soon as, and again, we said this is a world where Penn State and Michigan have finished in the top eight of the playoff rankings, where if there was an eight-team playoff, there are years there would have been three Big Ten teams. You know, we, we, we understand that Penn State, we just had a discussion that Penn State 
on the Wednesday pod uh, last week when we previewed Penn State really in depth. We had a discussion that we think Penn State is maybe the fifth, sixth, or seventh best program in the country. That's how good they are, but yet there's still a clear gap. So as long as you are still – like there's no reason to not kind of assume – there's no history. There's nothing in front of you that would keep you from assuming that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten. Like, it's a fair assumption. It's not a guarantee, but it's a fair assumption. I think it has reached the point where it's enough of an assumption that it is reasonable for this now to be what you really think about going into a year. They've won the last three Big Ten championships. That should be the custom at this point. And that when you lose in 13 to Michigan State, like, you're really disappointed. Yeah. And when you don't get there in 15, like you're really disappointed. But that, you know what? Like that's the assumption. I think that makes sense. I don't think it's taking anything for granted. And again, let's, let's have it not happen. Now they didn't win it. You know, 13, 14, 15, 16, they won one Big Ten title. Didn't win it in 13, 15, or 16. They made the playoff in 16 without winning the Big Ten, without even making the Big Ten championship game. So, you know, but right now, as you said, Stephen, three in a row. I don't know when that's going to end. I understand the idea of maybe t- of assuming let's focus on Clemson and Bama and let's talk about titles and multiple titles and just winning the Big Ten isn't really enough. Defense. I want to touch on defense before we get to our answers. Touch on it again. From the 614, the offense will always be lethal under day. The key to a mini dynasty is defensive consistency a la Brent Venables. That name has come up a lot. I still, it reminds me of things I forget I haven't written. I still have a Brent Venables, Kerry Combs column in my pocket with Brent Venables quotes from the semifinal. I think. I don't think I wrote that. But I have quotes from Ryan Day about it, Brent Venables, and Kerry Combs. Boy, it's going to be good if I ever wrote it. Did I write it? I don't think I wrote it. I'm going to write it. You should read it when I do. Going from Everett Withers to Chris Ash to Greg Schiano to Jeff Halfley to Kerry Combs is a lot of starting over from the 614. From the 610, everybody is going to say that quarterback is what matters, but I'm going to zag. The one thing that Alabama, Clemson's championship run, the Urban Meyer Florida run, and the 90s Florida State Nebraska run all have in common is that they played hellacious defense. Particularly in the spread offense era, if Ohio State isn't right on that side of the ball, they'll get exposed by the elite teams in the country. I love those answers because I think it's right. I think it's right. All right, let's get to our lists. Stephen, we'll start with you. We'll just let you run through your three, Stephen. I don't know if you ranked them one, two, three, if it's just your three main things, but we'll let you go, and then Nathan and I will say if any of our answers overlap with yours. But what are your three things that you think are the most important that have to happen for Ohio State to achieve the goal of a mini dynasty? Yeah, I didn't really rank them. I just They're all on the list, and they're all equally important. The first one is I think they need to have top three recruiting classes, not necessarily top five, top three. Because it does, it, you're going to miss sometimes, but if every year is a top three recruiting class, so four of those five, you hit on basically everybody, and then there's one class where maybe it doesn't develop as quickly as you would think, then you'll be okay. But also, as I said to start this off, I used Alabama and Clemson as, you know, kind of my examples of what they need to be in the middle of. Alabama had seven straight number one recruiting classes, and they've had a top three class in all but two years since 2007. I'll say doesn't need to do that, but which is why they just need to be top three because Alabama's also in the SEC where obviously it's a deeper conference and there's more, there's better teams in the SEC. 
uh, top to bottom they are in the Big Ten. But they also don't need to be where Clemson is at, where Clemson can have a mini dynasty with only, you know, one top three recruiting class, and that was 2020. But they're also in the ACC where there's enough of a talent gap to where everything doesn't necessarily need to come together until December and January when they're in the playoff. So top three is a good intermediate step between what Alabama and Clemson are because it, it keeps them to what we were already talking about with it keeps them a talent gap between them and the rest of the Big Ten. But, you know, it's not necessarily asking a team to have the number one recruiting class every single season. Okay, so let, let's stop there and let's have Nathan and I chime in on that. Nathan right. was was recruiting at an elite level, however you want to define it. Steven says top three classes. Was that on your list? Recruiting factors into one of my answers pretty heavily. Uh, you could argue it factors into two, but one specifically it factors into. Um, but I, I don't think of it in terms of the ranking just because – what a number three class means changes every year, depending on what the people around you. I, I think recruiting success is important. That's a little bit more nebulous than saying a, a specific number. I wouldn't put a number on it. It's not on my list. And I think, Stephen, you sort of mentioned the Clemson thing, that Clemson got to this point without doing that. Now, yes, you make a valid point that the ACC stinks, which is a point we enjoy making on Buckeye Talk. For anyone who's new to the podcast, the ACC stinks. But the issue wasn't the ACC. As much as we talked about getting through, once they did get through, they hung with Bama. Bama, who wins like every recruiting title in the world, once Clemson got to that point without recruiting at Bama's level, they hung with them for four years. And now we've seen their recruiting rise. So I guess I would say – and I do think you kind of have to put a number on it. And there's a lot of variables. If you told me in the next five years, and as excited as everybody is about 2021, if you told me in the next five years after 2021, Ohio State's recruiting classes were fourth, eighth, sixth, ninth, and third, I think they could still do it. I think it would matter where they were getting their best guys but I, I don't know. It's like, of course, it all starts with recruiting. There's a threshold that you have to reach, right? I mean, you can't recruit in the teens every year and get it done. Development is so important. You don't want to be, you know, the Jim Trestle model of this really rely on development and develop three stars. You don't want to be Mark D'Antonio, right? But I don't, I think there's a way where you could be a cut below Bama, maybe a cut below where they were in 13 and 17 and 18 and 21 and still kind of be there. Like not much of a cut below. So it's like, of course, of course, recruiting, of course. But just the Clemson model in and of itself, it led me to not put overall recruiting on my list. So I don't want to get bogged down in everything. That's where I am, Stephen. I think it's quite reasonable. I think a lot of people listening a thousand percent agree with you and a lot of the texters that sent in, that's where they started. And of course it starts with recruiting. So anyway, what's your second thing, Steven? My second thing is quarterback development and what you were alluding to with Clemson kind of plays into that. This has been Clemson's run of quarterbacks. Taj Boyd, Sean Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and DJ Ugalele is next. While with Bama, that, that, this is where Bama kind of fails a little bit until recently. AJ McCarron, Blake Sims, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. And so you recently that they're getting these high-level quarterbacks that they're also developing. Ohio State needs to continue to get the C.J. Strouds, Jack Millers, Kyle McCords of the world, but also 
to what some of the Texans were already talking about and what I, how, how I've been feeling, Ryan Day's got to make the right cho- choice with these quarterbacks. If you're good, because if you're getting five, four and five star quarterbacks, top 100 quarterbacks year in and year out, then it comes down to not doing what Georgia did and making the right decision of which one you're going to pick. And I wouldn't call it ruthless. I would just be, I would call it more just like going with progress and understanding that it, there's loyalty, but there's also understanding that you have to win national championships. And you can't just be loyal to a guy because he's been in the program two or three years if the guy coming behind him is clearly the better option. So it's hey. both. Getting top guys, but also not being afraid to tell these guys that, listen, if the guy behind you is better, he can take your job from you. The quarterback they put out there every Saturday has to be really good. One way or another. They can't have a better guy on the bench. They've got to recruit it. They've got to develop it. They've got to pick the right guy, and they've got to be loyal to what is best for the team above all else. Nathan, is that on your list? It's it's a big factor of the number two thing on my list. And I think, like, it's a factor in one of mine, too. It dep- We all admit it, right? I mean, we've gone over it 100 times. That's what we think is what has changed in the Ryan Day era right with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields and the guys who are coming next. It's not, it, it's not enough on its own because we don't believe Oklahoma is at this level and that Oklahoma would be in a spot to have this discussion and what they've done with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray and Jalen hurts. Like is anything, everything you could ask for from quarterback development. So it's not enough on its own, but I think we all believe that everybody is in agreement that this is what has helped move Ohio state to the next level. So of course, quarterbacks were going to factor in there. Steven, what's your last one? And then last one is not making bad assistant coach hires because it can't hurt you. Alex Grinch's scheme, you know, Tim, Tim Beck, that hire, the Bill Davis hire. Obviously, they're replaceable, but replaceable, like we've already said, with the right guy. You can't make it, especially on the defensive side, you can't make a hire that sets your team back and puts you at liability to lose games like Purdue and Iowa. And that's different than continuity. And I yeah. agree with your explanation of it. One way to not make bad assistant coach hires is to have a good coach and have him stay. So you don't have to make a hire at all, but it's not the only way to have good assistant coaches. You can also have good assistant coaches by having Tom Herman, losing Tom Herman and replacing him with Ryan day. They just happened to replace Tom Herman with Tim Beck for two years before they got to Ryan day. So I think, Again, a lot of texters are going to be in agreement on that, Stephen, that the assistant coaching has to be at a high level. And I don't disagree with that. I disagree with continuity. I disagree with the idea that any individual assistant coach on his own is irreplaceable. Nathan, did you have assistant coaching in your list? Not assistant coaching specifically. I suppose it's a corollary to one of my three, but not directly. So Stephen's list... Top three recruiting classes, quarterback development, don't screw up the assistants. Nathan, your list. So number three, and this might be the more the more controversial one of my list. It's maybe a little bit out there, but I'm going to try to explain myself. I, I put, um, and I did rank them. This was number three on my list. I put a real nemesis. And it's, I was looking back through the various, on, on, like the teams on your list, for example. You have, you know, Alabama and Clemson right now, I think, are nemeses. Like they are kind of judged against each other. Clemson, as it was coming up, eventually was trying to attain this Alabama status. Now the Alabama status is, are you keeping 
Are you are you able to kind of keep your spot ahead of Clemson? And they're obviously kind of switching back and forth. You had a time when when uh, Nebraska loses to Florida State in the national championship in the 90s and then comes back and wins three of the next four, including beating Florida State. You had an era where Florida State couldn't get past Miami. Actually, a lot of teams that couldn't get past Miami. Florida State kept having like these one loss one-point losses against Miami, but then they, as we talked about over that long period of time, they obviously proved themselves. Um, Oklahoma had some incredible teams in the 80s that people don't really talk about that much because it was in the middle of this run that Miami had. Uh, the USC Texas, it was going head-to-head. I think, it's, I think you need that other program out there that kind of helps define your success. I think it doesn't really happen in a vacuum. You either need that team that you're chasing, which right now for Ohio State is Alabama and Clemson. I think they're, as we talked about many times and on this pod, you're trying to reach up that last rung to get onto their level, to get onto their tier. And then you sometimes need that team that is is pushing you, even as you're still winning the championships, to to, to help define how great you were in that stretch. And I guess the question would be, do you feel like that that's out there for Ohio State to have that kind of nemesis. Well, like I said, it's there right now. I think so it's we, there. we yeah. talked about, yeah, they, they are a yeah. rung down. They are not Alabama and Clemson right now. That's what that's a level they're trying to get to. So the, the first part of it is there. Now, whether we're talking five years from now, has some other team emerged or has one of those teams hung around and kept pushing them the way maybe Alabama and Clemson are kind of pushing each other right now? Does, does Ohio State match up with one of them perpetually? I mean, you could see obviously already how Clemson has been kind of a nemesis more than just that thing that's out there for them to reach, right? I mean, they're in their face has been a nemesis. And that if, if Dabo stays there and those teams keep going head-to-head, that could be a really fun kind of national thing that we follow for the next five, six years. I would, would say – go, go ahead, ahead Stephen. No, I, I think the Clemson one would be interesting to what we already talked because the ACC stinks. I think, yeah, Clemson's not going to go away as quickly as maybe Alabama would be just because of the competition they have to face throughout the season. And I do think the way that our texters describe this, if Dabo and Saban both retired tomorrow and over the next five years, Ohio State won three national titles by beating Mike Norvell's Florida State team and Tom Herman's Texas team and Dan Mullen's Florida team and Mario Cristobal's Oregon team and Penn State and everybody else, I think it it would be missing something. For Ohio State fans, because so much of the 2004, as someone pointed out, it's obvious, so much of the 2014 title was beating Bama on the way there, and you almost forget they beat Oregon. And this Clemson thing is hanging there, man. Holy moly, the Clemson thing is hanging there. And if it would almost feel like that, like Clemson and Bama almost like relinquished their belts and Ohio State won a vacant crown rather than win by default. Rather than, because that happens in boxing, right? It's like, well, you didn't knock the guy out in the ring. It's the guy lost his belt because he refused to the title defense, and they said, okay, well, now these two other guys are going to fight. And you never got to knock out the champ. And you became the champ, but everybody's kind of like, well, yeah, but you didn't have to beat the other champ because he just gave up the belt. Like it, you know, three titles in five years is three titles in five years. But I understand because dynasty is, you know, you look at it statistically, you look at it by numbers, whatever, but there's also the feel to it. And I understand, I think what you're saying, Nathan, relates to that dynastic feel that if they get there by like, we think there are two simultaneous mini dynasties right now. And if Ohio State now claims one of its own mini dynasties by knocking off 
the previous mini dynasties, that will feel different than if Clemson and Alabama, for whatever reason, just faded into the background and Ohio State got there because they weren't there. Dynasties always have a stamp to them, a moment where you kind of solidify that this indeed was a dynasty, and that's what that would be doing. But I mean, imagine if, if like worst case scenario, not to not to speak things into jinxistence, but um, Clemson and Alabama can't have football seasons this year or something. You know what I mean? But Ohio State does, and then Ohio State goes on and wins a national championship. That's not going to be. I mean, Ohio State fans will celebrate the national championship, but you can't say that that's going to feel right, right? I mean, it's you. It's as opposed to a a situation where you get into a, a playoff that both Clemson and Alabama are in, and you emerge from there and win both of them. I mean, look at LSU last year. I think the fact that they had to not so much that they had to beat Oklahoma, but the fact that they were going to have to beat the um the Clemson Ohio State winner to win a national championship, I think added some legitimacy to exactly what they did, and especially the way they ended up winning. And that but they also beat because Alabama they played, yeah. They they beat they beat every team that you would expect a team that was going to be right. buying and for Alabama, best right. of all time yeah. would need to beat. They they won their title by knocking off the two mini dynasties. Right. They beat them both during the same right. year. So I I think for the feel of it and dynasties, part of it is the feel. I think your point is very well taken, Nathan. What's your second thing? So number two, and this might have been a little bit wide ranging, but I, I put I just put the off. I, it's basically you have an offensive identity and you go find the elite talent to go with it. I know that's very, very broad, but I think when you look back, it, 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 it qualifies when you go all the way back to 90s. You can talk about Nebraska running the option. They didn't need to go out and get a, a dual-threat quarterback or a pocket-passing quarterback. They had a very different kind of offense, but they went out and got incredible offensive linemen. They went out and got um, some, some great running backs back then and built their offense like that. And, and some quarterbacks who knew how to run that system, obviously. And then you could take that all the way up to the modern era with what Clemson is doing, what um, Alabama did with Tua, what Ohio state seems to be on the verge of doing. Um, I don't think it's just over the course of this era that we're talking about, this modern era, it's not just quarterbacks, but now as we're sitting here today, it's more quarterback than it's ever been in a lot of ways. I think you, to, to achieve at this Upper, upper, upper echelon, you have to obviously go find the quarterback that matches your offense and put the, the, the weapons around him to thrive. Um, it, it's kind of more of like it, it really has more evolved into how we used to think of like how an NFL team would try to win a championship. I think that's how I think of a college football team trying to win a championship now. Yeah, but did Alabama have an offensive identity or did they just finally evolve and go get the quarterback they needed? Well, I think, again, as Doug pointed out, you're kind of talking about two different eras of Alabama. I think there was a time at Alabama where it almost didn't matter who the quarterback was. Maybe in the yeah. first of the too many dynasties where people can't even really name who won those national championships for Alabama as quarterback because, number one, you had some Heisman Trophy running backs in the mix there too. But you had a you, – you were going out and getting elite offensive talent. Whether At that point, maybe it wasn't as important that one of those guys was the quarterback. I think it's absolutely important now. I think people are paying attention to who the Alabama quarterback is and whether that guy can go win a national championship in a way that they wouldn't have been a decade ago. Yeah, Alabama was rare. Alabama was different. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree with that. A.J. McCarron oh, yeah. won a bunch of those. But, yeah, um, yeah. so that's – and that fits. That's very similar to the, to the quarterback point that Stephen yeah. made, as you had said before, Nathan. So what's your third one, Nathan? And my third one is just the coach. That whole list that you ran down, it was Nick Saban, it's Dabo Sweeney, it's Pete Carroll, it's uh, Tom Osborne, it's it's Bobby Bowden, it's the, you know, the Miami guys who – that was a little bit more split up at Miami because you're talking about um, a couple guys, and then you can even reach back to Schnellenberger, I suppose. But, like, it's, it's 
in any in the borderline case, like with Florida, with Urban Meyer. I mean, you're talking about guys who go on the short list of the best coaches of all time. Um, I think in order to really have a dynasty, that's probably what you have to talk about. And I think it's a corollary to that is you're either capitalizing or kind of summoning a mystique that was already there in some of these programs. I mean, USC had already had a great football tradition at times in its history. And then Pete Carroll kind of resurrected that, you know, Alabama had obviously had great times. It also had, had dipped uh, before they brought Nick Saban in and then he resurrected that. So I think you either have to do that or you have to kind of create a mystique where none had existed before. That's not going to um, apply as much to Ohio state because there's already some of that. But I think it, as we talked about before, it, it there's still an elevation that has to happen. And I was looking at, we brought Miami up a few times on this podcast. They were never really a top 10 national program. They actually had a stretch of between 1967 and 79. They didn't finish in the top 25 at the end of the year, a single time. And then beginning in 83, where they went on and won a national championship, their preseason AP rank was one, one, two, one, 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 three, three. They were for, so what was that? A decade. They were the number one team preseason in college football you 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 take a presence and you you just apply it to the national landscape like you are the team that everybody talks about and you have to have I think a coach that comes in and kind of embodies that a little bit and is the way that people talk about Nick Saban the way that people talk about Dabo Sweeney they're not talking about Ryan Day like that quite yet they were talking about Urban Meyer like that um, it didn't quite get to that level at Ohio State, as we said, but I think that's what it takes. I think there there has to be a a presence at the top of the chain. And like you said, Doug, when we're talking about the assistant coaches, I think that's part of being a one of those legendary head coaches is you make the the decisions. When a guy leaves, you make the right decision to replace him. It, it's not up to chance. Um, I, I think those those positions are somewhat I don't put assistant coaching at the same level as head coaching. I think that that still supersedes and is the most important. But when that guy makes the right decisions for the guys that fit his program the best and can take and can do something at those spots that maybe wasn't being done before, that's how you elevate a program to this very rare um, level that we're talking about. So that is also number one on my list, but I'm not sure it's right. And here's why. If we had done this exercise two years ago, three years ago, I think we would have had Urban Meyer's presence on our list, right, as a must. Basically the same thing you just explained, Nathan. And now here we are, and Urban Meyer's gone, and we're having this discussion without Urban Meyer. Your Miami point is a great point. That run you just mentioned, the first half of it's Jimmy Johnson. The second half of it's Dennis Erickson. Basically well, living on the fumes and it went, and Schnellenberger had the first one, but then, so right. So it's all those years you listed at Schnellenberger, Johnson, 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 Erickson, 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 Erickson. So here's my question. If Ryan day, if they win the national title this season and Ryan day leaves for the NFL and either Kerry Combs or Brian Hartline is named Ohio state's head coach. Would you think that everything we just said would fundamentally change or would most of it still apply? And my number one is Ryan Day, because I feel like a lot of this comes out of Ryan Day, right? The recruiting. He's elevated even Urban's recruiting. 
by retaining some of Urban's guys. He's the quarterback developer, which is so important. He is relating to these kids in a way that is so important. A lot of it is personally attached to Ryan Day. But yet, if you made Kerry Combs or, or Brian Hartline the head coach in a year, would you all of a sudden say, that's it for the dynasty? Ryan Day got his title and went to the NFL, and there goes the dynasty. And then my point might be this. Would it be, and this is like discrediting Ryan Day, and I don't mean it, would it be that you have to have the person who establishes something, and the way Dennis Erickson for six years, and this is not fair to Dennis Erickson, but I'll say it, ran on Jimmy Johnson's fumes. Because Schnellenberger was good, but then Jimmy Johnson took it to the next level. Miami and the fatigues and that aura, that you aura. Again, Schnellenberger got it going, but then Johnson embodied it. And it was so strong that it lived through Dennis Erickson. And a little bit, then Butch Davis kind of rekindled it and it lived into Larry Coker. And it was still the you vibe that you would trace back to Jimmy Johnson that you're still feeling when they win the national championship in 2001. And Jimmy Johnson hasn't been their head coach since 1988. Is it possible that what Urban Meyer established with the level of recruiting, the tenacity, the four to six A to B, the strength program with Mickey Marotti, the everyday recruiting idea that he was open to – now, Ryan Day has taken it and run with it, but a lot of it is still Urban Meyer. Could you fill in Kerry Combs or Brian Hartline and still keep it going? And then I don't know what you call that. Number one on my list, I just wrote Ryan Day. But yet I'm not so sure that I would say it's, it's almost, over if he left. It's almost like you're – I don't even know if this is the best analogy, but Rome wasn't built in a day, but it also can't be torn down in one day, day either. And, and that I, Urban Meyer built it. Yeah. Ryan Day is elevating it, taking it to the next level. But is it so built that it wouldn't automatically fall apart? Nathan, you know what I'm getting at here. Like, yeah. Do you think it's possible? Well – a couple of things here. Number one, and the re- the reason I brought up Miami was because even I put down the coach, but I think the aura might be a better way to say that. And I, I think again, we're talking about the the multiple things that go into winning or having a dynasty. It's not just that one of these things decides the dynasty. So I, again, I think it's it's one component of it. But as you as you bring up with Urban Meyer, that just because you have that aura to some extent. That doesn't mean that the dynasty follows. The other thing I would say too, though, is that you know the reason why I'm not sure why I think I would vote B at best is because we don't know yet about Ryan Day. Like you know he had the the one great season, following up on Urban Meyer. I think he gets a lot of credit for that, but we don't know yet as far as what he's establishing here. We think it's going in this direction because of recruiting, because of the way people talk about him, but we don't know yet. So. I, I still say that I, I think every every person that you listed there, as far as these the modern dynasties, Miami's the one exception where it came with multiple guys. Every every other time, it was like one guy sort of establishing a new um, what's the word like a new paradigm there, like a new yeah. standard of greatness there. Um, that maybe it had waned from a previous time of greatness, but they they established a new one. They brought it back. Um, I think it's possible that if, if this were to happen in, in, in the kind of run you're talking about with Ryan day, um, I know it's coming up right on the heels of, of the coach that 
succeeded him, who was a national championship coach at that school. But I still think you could that would qualify there. That he was a guy that um, that that the program had reached a certain level, and he took it up to another level. And, Is and, Urban Meyer the modern day Jimmy Johnson? Question mark. I claim that headline. <laughs> <laughs> but you look again, for instance, what Pete Carroll did at USC. Then you come in with Lane Kiffin right behind him, who had been part of Pete Carroll's staff, who had gone on and been a head coach elsewhere. He comes in and they can't keep it. They can't keep it going. Right. It falls off. So I do think it was, there is something. Yeah. yeah. I do think there is something to be said. I think Miami might be the, for whatever reason, and it may have just been because it's it, Miami and what they were able to bring there in the 80s. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think it takes a special coach to keep that going on after the initial coach. You know, and, and, and a lot there. of it – I agree with that. You know, when I, I did a list the other day of, like, the 11 coaches who could never be topped at their schools, um, and there was a good discussion. I maybe missed a couple people, but – you know, Tom Osborne at Nebraska was on that list, but Tom Osborne was an assistant to Bob Devaney, who when he took over as the – like Bob Devaney defined Nebraska football. Tom Osborne's his offensive coordinator. Tom Osborne takes over and elevates it. Nebraska was already great. Tom Osborne wasn't the first great Nebraska coach, but then he elevated what was awesome and did it for two decades plus. So, you know, maybe that's where we are with Ryan Day and Urban Meyer. But I guess – so – Let's put a pin on – let's put a, a, a specific question, quick answer basically, because we could go in. This would be a whole separate podcast. Nathan, if Ryan Day wins a national title in 2020 and goes to the NFL – and again, I think keeping it in the family is important, right, just the way they did with Ryan Day and Urban Meyer because if you bring in an outsider, now you go a whole different direction and who knows. But Ryan Day wins a title, leaves. They hire either Kerry Combs or Brian Hartline – or Tony Alford, or Larry Johnson, they hire a current assistant to take over. Would you think it was still possible to keep a run going? Or would, it, would you expect some kind of fall off automatically because Ryan Day is gone? I wouldn't expect the fall off, again, because you're only talking about a second season for Ryan Day. I don't know that he has put his own signature on the program to the extent that something irreversible happens if you bring in someone else. Um, and I, I, because I think you would probably argue that a big, and I know Brian Day was a big reason why Justin Fields came here, but a big reason why Ohio State can win a championship in 2020 is because Justin Fields is here. I, I think it this this 2020 window, 2019-2020 window, is so much about the players still that were brought in and not necessarily recruited by this by, by the Day regime. Steven. If it's Tony Alford, Ohio State's coach in 2021, or Kerry Combs, could it still keep rolling? I'd give it two years. What does that mean? You give it two years what? Just because, you know, the 2020 class is what it is, and the 2021 class seems to be what it is. So I think there would be two years of just that talent already being on the roster that they could always ride the wave off of, but then it will start to fall off, and you would see it in the recruiting and 2022 and 2023 classes who haven't necessarily been built yet because you don't think the guy that the the assistant on this staff could not do behind ryan day what ryan day did behind urban meyer you think i don't think so. ryan day is no. special enough i think i i think so but also just one year is not enough to at least start the sustained period i think so it's interesting right i think day, that combat but also you know the quarterback situation probably changes after that because now you're relying on Corey Dennis to be the name who gets these quarterbacks to come in instead of the head coach who's also a quarterback whisperer getting these guys to come here. 
Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, Ryan Day was blessed with a lot of things in place to help him win, and he took advantage of every one of them, and he elevated it. He would tell you that. He doesn't disagree with that. He stepped into a situation better than 99% of first-time head coaches. Um, but he's, he didn't just ride that wave. You know, he took over the wave. He, he made the wave his own. But the idea of like, well, could someone else also do that? The wave's still there. Could Tony Alford do that? Could Brian Hartline do that? Could Kerry Combs do that? Could Al Washington do that? I don't know. It depends if you think, you know, Gene Smith thinks Ryan Day is rare. And I think maybe he's shown some characteristics that would, that would tell you that he is. But, and so uh, these recruits, because that's actually yeah. it's one of the things I ask him is why is this guy so special after one year? And it, they speak the same way about him that Gene Smith does, which, so yeah, maybe he is, the, maybe you know, the headline I said earlier, maybe that is a thing where Ohio State is, is getting what Miami got with Jimmy Johnson and then going forward with that. But, it, but recruits also love Larry Johnson. And recruits also love Kerry Combs. And I'm not disputing it. I'm not. I'm just trying to be a little – I don't like being devil's advocate for the sake of devil's advocate. Number one on my list for Ohio State's mini dynasty is Ryan Day. And now I'm arguing against that. So I just think it's interesting to think about because on one hand, you can think it all is, it's all about that guy. Recruiting, relating, developing quarterbacks. It's all about that guy. But if you allow your mind to wander – you sometimes think, I wonder if they could keep it up without him. Here's my three. Third is aura. Sort of, Nathan, what you mentioned then. I, w- I think you have to establish this is who we are. And that when people think, recruits, fans, opponents, when they think of Ohio State football in your mini dynasty era, they know exactly what they're thinking about. They might not even be able to, as you said, like define it, but it's like, bang that's Ohio State football. There was a time when Ohio State football was the silver bullets and it was the defense and that's what it was. That's probably what it wouldn't be now. It would be something with the dynamic passing attack or something with the incredible skill or whatever, like whatever, however you would define it, but like, bang, that's Ohio State football. Just the way I think right now you can do that with Bama, USC, the the Osborne years at Nebraska, the certainly the U. I think that is part of it. I think it, it is both self-fulfilling and that if you have it, it will make you better. But I also think it's if you are great, then that is part of not just being a good team, but being a dynasty, that there is something defining about you that people just understand what your program is about. And it's not just one player. It's not just a specific season, it's like, that's Ohio State football. And I assume it would be offense-related. I don't know exactly what it would look like, but that's my third third on my list. Number one on my list is Ryan Day. Number two for me, and this was about context, and I know this podcast is going long. I've enjoyed it. Have you guys enjoyed it? I think it's oh, been interesting. Yeah. Thoroughly. Very long. But that's how we do it on, on Buckeye Talk. It's interesting hearing your guys' is, you know, what guys – you the things you think are important compared to what I thought. I think a lot of my things are more tangible where yours, not saying they're not tangible, but they're important, but it's things you have to actually think about in a little bit in a different way than just hear some numbers and, you know, just Steven, just say it. It's dreamy old man crap. It's not, uh, no, it, it matters. It's just, you know, but I think it's all of it. And again, I think if we yeah. all agree, it's not three things, it's not five no. things, it's 10 things. It's 15 things. If you're going to be this good, when there are already good teams and it's hard to get in the playoff and players are changing year after year, you've got to have it all. 
you've got to have great defense and great offense and great recruiting and great assistant coaches and great head coaches. And your conference has to help you one way or the other. And you've got to have some luck and you've got to have an aura and all of it. It's all of it. Cause if you fall behind or one or two, you're probably not going to, you might win one. It might all come together like it did for LSU in one year. But if you don't have it all, it's not going to happen. And Clemson and Bama have it all right now. I mean, Clemson, the quarterbacks, Clemson's defense is awesome. Bama's defense, man, Tua, Jalen Hurts, are you kidding me? A.J. McCarron was a very productive college quarterback. Like, everybody has it all when you do this. My last thing is the conference. And I think the main thing I mean, as much as we talk about, and we've done this on the podcast with the Penn State podcast last week, is like, do you wish the Big Ten was better? If J.J. McCarthy, who is in the 2021 recruiting class as a quarterback for Michigan, and we talked about him on the 2021 podcast, if J.J. McCarthy gets to Michigan and is the best player in college football for the next four years, and if J.J. McCarthy is the Deshaun Watson of the Big Ten, Ohio State's chances at a dynasty just went down. If Penn State gets a five-star quarterback for the first time, if the next time they recruit a Justin Fields, he sticks Ohio State's chance that a dynasty just went down. If Graham Mertz at Wisconsin is the best quarterback that state has ever seen, and Ohio State sees Graham Mertz in the Big Ten title game two of the next three years, and he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, he's better than Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, Ohio State's chance that a dynasty just went down. So as much as I think the Big Ten sometimes works against them or whatever, if all of a sudden, like, there is a, one of the good teams, and Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan are the, three, the next three best teams in the Big Ten, if one of them elevates mostly through quarterback play, because we've talked about quarterback play, we talk about quarterback play in this podcast every week, every day, there are chances that a dynasty goes down. So as much as I think the Big Ten sometimes works against them, actually sometimes in other ways right now, it might be right where they want it to be. And maybe you don't want Justin Fields to show up and stick at Penn State. And you don't want J.J. McCarthy, who's the number two quarterback in the class of 2021, to win two Heismans. And you don't want Graham Merckx to make everybody forget about Alex Hornibrook and Jack Cohn. Because now your job just got harder, and it's nothing about you. You're still you. Everything else that we just said about Ohio State is still in place. But, oh, crap, Wisconsin has a quarterback. Or, oh, crap, Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis finally found a quarterback and they figured it out, and that offense is legit. I think that matters. What do you guys think of that idea? I, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, I, especially when you, again, using the Clemson example, right? I mean, I think um, you, can, you can have – you can achieve at this national level, but the, the fewer pitfalls there are between you and getting to that national level, the better. And that's what, in some ways, makes what Alabama has done so impressive yeah. is that they've had, you know, other, you know, high-level quarterbacks that they've had to go through to get to where they've gotten to. And I don't – is Ohio State going to be in the same position to be able to, you know, get through that the same way Alabama does? And maybe instead of me thinking, oh, they have to have top three recruiting class, maybe now they do need to have a number one recruiting class for two or three years straight to compete with the fact that the quarterback playing the Big Ten has risen. But that's where the, the conference can sometimes help you because I think, you know, Alabama mm -hmm. can have a stumble as long as that stumble is, oh, you lose to a, a well-regarded Auburn team in the SEC <laughs> championship. You can still make the playoff and still win a national championship. We were talking – after they lost to LSU last year, we were still talking about Alabama as a playoff team until they lost Auburn. Yep. 
that like, yeah. like Joe Burrow, you know who threw a big giant roadblock in the middle of this Alabama <clears throat> mini dynasty? Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah. Joe Burrow. That was a bad, that was hard. But if they don't lose to Auburn, they still might get in. And then who knows what? They might be that fourth team. They might be playing LSU again in the semifinal. Instead of playing Oklahoma, Oklahoma uh, uh, School of Sports Writer Defense, they're playing Alabama in the semifinal. That LSU is trying to do that. Now Alabama yeah. gets a second shot at Burrow. Now Alabama, okay, here we go. We figured Burrow out. They played Burrow pretty close the first time around. Here we go. Now Alabama's trying to win another one, a third in five years. You know, that's that's there. But again, but you know, Alabama, you know, Johnny Manziel was awesome. He beat Bama, but it didn't ruin the Bama dynasty, right? Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. It didn't ruin the Bama dynasty. So anyway, I think that I think I don't think it's gonna happen, but I think if it did, it would affect Ohio State. All right, that was long. I'm sweaty. Oh my god, I'm dripping with sweat. I'm in my little room upstairs. Sometimes I sit in the basement and it's nice and cool. Now I'm upstairs, there's sun coming in, dripping with sweat because this podcast was so lit. Woo! This is how we're rewarding the people who stayed until the end, just a riff on your perspiration. So here are the three biggest parts of my body that are the sweatiest right now. Number three. Good Lord. Groin. <laughs> wow. I said it. I said porn on this podcast, and I said groin on this podcast. And this I apologize. The opposite way of how I thought this was going to end. I apologize to the Mustachio family and the kids who listen. I apologize. That's my bad. I shouldn't do that. We want to be kid friendly. Great podcast. Super fun. Here's what we're going to do. I actually think this would be a great series the first week in September if there's no football. So I think we might have to save writing this for a while, guys, because I think it's a ten part series. And until we're sure there's football, we got to start backlogging stuff. I'm not sure we want to dump the Dynasty series like in the middle of July. We might have to hold off on this because this is hot stuff. The people who don't listen but do read Cleveland.com want to catch up on this. So we'll write this eventually. Go read Cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop an Apple review at Apple Podcasts. Try the text at 614-350-3315, and let's get out of here. Your ears hurt. Our voices hurt because that podcast was awesome. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.